gospel, light of the temple. Saw swing, kill a laugh from the ghetto. The hood messenger, let him know hell's close. Black burial, the devil in a black cloak. Yo, what is up? Welcome to the Street Gospel Podcast. I'm your host, Dave One, and this is episode number... Yo, Cam, what episode is this? 71. 71. Nice. You caught our last episodes we had on uh, Lindsay. That was a great episode, right? You like that one? Oh, actually, 72. Is it 72? I think so, yeah. Man, you're off today, bro. <laughs> one job. <laughs> Episode number 72, right? J70, Lindy 71, this is 72, right? So, uh, yeah, man, let's, let's get on that, bro. You, 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 for, hey, in how many episodes? That's the first time you ever messed up. Yeah. Right? All right, I'll let you slide this time, man. <laughs> you owe me one. Anyways, guys, like always, if you guys can, hit that subscribe button. Uh, wherever you check us out at, YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you watch us, please, please subscribe. And if you like a podcast, send it to somebody. We appreciate it. Share it. Uh, help us spread the, the uh, podcast out to everyone out there. Um, definitely appreciate that. But, uh, you know, we got, a, we got a guest today, man. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of excited about this one because I was... Uh, I was checking out this guy's stuff for a minute, and I really dug what he was talking about. And then uh, he followed me back, and then we kind of went back and forth on a few comments. I I sent a DM, and uh, we 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 kind of just became uh, I guess it would be like social media friends, you know. Some of you know what that is like out there, <laughs> and you kind of follow each other and say, "Man, that's good stuff," and you comment here and there. But uh, this guy right here, he is a believer. He is a husband, a father. He's a businessman, a soon-to-be author. He's been in law enforcement. He is a veteran, a combat medic, uh, a political commentator, uh, has has uh, all kinds of businesses going on right now. We'll talk a little bit about that stuff. Uh, a lot of stuff, a lot of cool stuff. So I want to welcome to the Street Gospel Podcast, Josiah O'Neill. What's up, guys? What's up, man? Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming up. Yeah, Appreciate it, man. Glad to be here. Appreciate it, man. How was uh, how's your day been so far? Good, other than driving on California freeways. Well, yeah, it sucks, right? <laughs> all, all those, all that tax money and the, and the, and the freeways still suck. Don't even get me started. Well, maybe you are going to get me started, right? But uh, I know I shouldn't have went there so fast, right? <laughs> no, it's all good. Yeah, no, it was, it was an easy drive up. Yeah, it was good. Cool, man. I, um, thanks, here. thanks for coming, man. Appreciate Absolutely. it. So, where'd you where'd you grow up, man? Yeah, man. So I grew up in Mexico, actually. Okay, uh, Mexico. That's right. Okay, yeah. so you look a little bit on the uh, on the lighter side on the, of on the huero. Uh, yeah, on the huero side. Yeah. Dude. <laughs> no, Mexicali. Oh, man. there we go. How, how was that? How was that like? Yeah. Girl? So, so part uh, up until a point, I was in Mexico, and then the second half until I graduated, I was in Ecuador, down south. Okay. But my parents were missionaries, so I moved down there when I was three months old. Yeah. So I, I didn't. I never knew the difference. I mean, I I started in kindergarten, and uh, ended up graduating high school later in Ecuador. Wow! All my education was in Spanish. And, okay. Um, before I moved back to the states, you came up to the states, and, and was that yeah. a big transition for you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was a weird little missionary kid. <laughs> I didn't, didn't understand the the cool culture of the U.S. You know, but um, no, it was good. I, I actually came up to go to um, to go to college, and. Uh, didn't last very long. I did like two semesters originally. I went back to college later, but that first stint I was at uh, Bible College. Okay. And um, that second semester 
is when uh, did I, you want I to go to Bible Army. college or were you kind of pressured into no. going to Bible college? Well, my dad, you know, being a being right. a Calvary pastor okay. uh, slash missionary, we had the opportunity. We didn't have any money. Um, I had worked that summer prior to try to scrounge some money to pay for it, and um, it was a natural step. You know, I wanted to go and sort of prep for life and get into the Word. And sure, um, I um, after about a semester and a half, though, is when Iraq kicked off. Okay, and uh, me and a, a lot of other guys my age went off, and I joined the army. So be, be, I, I just because you wanted to help, you know, I had you know even even growing up, right? My parents had always instilled in us a love for 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 country, right? And right. God and country, and um, everybody in my family had served. Both my grandparents, my dad, uh, and I just uh, I knew growing up that was something that I wanted to do, so. You know, when, when there was an actual war going on and lots of people were going, lots of young guys, it was just sort of a natural step for me. And uh, a recruiter didn't have to work too hard. I literally walked in the door and was like, I want to join. Let's go. How old were you? 17. 17. Mm-hmm. Man, so you had to, you had to have the, the signature, right? You had, you had the, the waiver. waiver. My parents were still in South America. So oh, wow. the recruiter was like, yeah, we'll take you. But, uh, you know, have, have your dad sign this. I'm like, well, my parents aren't here. It's like, well, when are they coming back? I'm like, no, they're not in the country. <laughs> so I faxed it to Ecuador and had them sign the line for me to join. And I turned 18 after boot camp. Wow. How was, uh, did you uh, like the military? Because I know a lot of people join the military. They kind of go, ah, it's not really for me after. It's not always cracked up with what the commercials are, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's hard to go in there acting like you know anything because you don't really. Right. right. And, and it's worth saying there's a big difference between peacetime military and combat operations. Right. Uh, that's something. I mean, how could you possibly know before you go? The entire experience for me in the military was was basically being deployed. So that's all I knew. So for me, I did my time and I got out. Um, I never knew, you know, the parade, the shiny boots, the, you know, whatever opportunities we had stateside. For me, it was just 15 month deployment. I was gone all of 2005, beginning of 2004. My unit returned in 2006. It was a very long deployment. And I, you mentioned before, I, I was a combat medic in 3rd Infantry Division. And uh, that was enough for me, you know, at yeah, that time. Are you seeing a lot of stuff, right? I mean, yeah. basically everything, all the, all the worst of what we see. Yeah, what, you know, what for... We, what, they, what we hear, I should say. My, my unit had the second highest casualty rate in our division. So we, we took some hits. Um, it was a busy year. But, you know, all, all that to say, I lasted about seven months when I came out and I was back overseas. Not with the military, but I went as a private military contractor. What, what is the – I always trip out on that because every time uh, – we had my, our friend uh, Billy Hall in there. He served in Vietnam, and he, he went on three hardcore deployments, man, where it, it got br- brutal. Mm. And he and – he, he couldn't describe why he needed to go back each time. It was it was it was difficult for him to kind of like. I was like, why? And he's like, I just I just felt it. Like I just I had to. He didn't feel mm-hmm. like normal here, or kind of maybe letting guys down there, or feeling like he's you know didn't that's part do of it. it. Yeah, is that what it is? You know, I've I've thought about this a lot because people always ask that, and uh, I think at some point you just realize that you're the kind of person that can do that. Um, I had a rough time. I'm not gonna lie. When I first came back, I, mean, I was a teenager. Right. And in, in a year period, you go through all of the emotions that you should experience in a man's lifetime. 
death, happiness, friendship, love, loss. I mean, it's, it's a brutal thing for your mind to grasp. And as most people know now, you know, PTSD has reverberating effects for the rest of your life. And, and I had a hard time when I first came back, but that's where my testimony comes in because, you know, I really began walking with the Lord, uh, during that, that period of time between the army and when I went back to contract, because I had totally walked away from the Lord. I grew up in the church. You know, I, I, I was raised to know I was going to ask that true. right now. You, you fell away a oh, little absolutely. bit. Absolutely. Just... Yeah, absolutely. And I hit rock bottom, right? Where I don't think the, the Lord never let me go. He always had me and I always knew what was right, but I didn't walk in his ways. I was, I was out there on my own. And I was on a futon mattress in an apartment in Denver where I was working and uh, having a really rough time with um, everything I brought back, the trauma and all that stuff and really looking for purpose. You know, that's a big thing guys struggle with when they come back. It's like, what do I do now? You know, and um, I had this 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 moment where I played kind of Russian roulette with God. I don't recommend this, but this is just my personal story. I got up and I was like, Lord, you know, I, I need to hear something. I need to hear something because um, I was just, uh, I don't, you know, I don't know. I was just having a rough time, right? Drinking too much and partying too much. And I, I went over to my computer and I Googled, I don't even know what I said. It was something to elicit, uh, you know, a Bible verse or something like God help me or something. I just wanted to see what would happen. And I kid you not, it's Daniel chapter nine. I read the verse right when uh, that uh, the angels telling Daniel, Daniel, before you even asked, I was on my way. Wow. And it just it blew my mind. I printed that out because, yeah, we printed things right at that time. <laughs> and I stuck it on my door. And um, that was a big change. I lost all my friends, you know, totally. Uh, like I said, prodigal son coming back. I, right. I knew the truth. I don't think the Lord ever let me go. But I was living with the pigs, you know. Yeah. And I came home. And I went through a real dry kind of desert time because nobody wants to kick it with you anymore when you start going to church and living the word. And um, But, hey. A few months after that, I meet my soon-to-be wife, Lindsay. She writes me. She had a dream about me and wrote me out of nowhere to say, hey, I had a dream about you because we'd known each other in, in Bible college and just wondering where you are. Wow. And I was like, I liked you in Bible college. Okay, I'm, a, I'm a, <laughs> so pause the story for a minute. Back at that time, I did like her, and she was like, I don't like you. She literally told me to pound sand. Like, I'm not here for that. Goodbye. So I didn't see her for seven years. So they're, this, this, they're like, this is a joke. <laughs> She write, yeah. She's writing me right? seven years later, all of a sudden. But now I'm older, wiser, got a combat tour, right? All, all jacked up. Yeah. <laughs> so she's like, you don't look like a little little man boy anymore. But I did tell her, I said, look, um, if you don't like me, I'm not going to talk to you. Because that's what happened the first time. Don't right? waste my time. We were friends. I didn't want to be friends, right? <laughs> and she uh, she very softly said, I think I like you this time. You know, so, nice. Um, I proposed three weeks later. And then... Did you, uh, did you, did you know it was God like that, putting that together and she absolutely. knew? Absolutely. We had all kinds of confirmation. She was praying that the Lord would confirm this through verses, through people sharing things with her. It was just one thing after another. We, and honestly, we made a commitment to the Lord too. We were not interested in dating, right? We were not interested in playing around or having some super long multi-year relationship. Yeah. We both were believers and we both knew like, hey, if you're in a relationship, the purpose is unity. It's to get married. If not, you're just wasting your time because you're kicking it with someone else's wife. Right. And and we were very upfront and clear about that. I was very direct. That's why I told her, I said, you know, if you don't want to marry me, I'm not going to waste my time. I, I think that's how most people, when they get a certain age and tired of just, you know, I, I tell Cam, he's young. Hey, date a couple girls here and there, bro. See, be friends, whatever. Uh, my daughter, Ash, she's a little bit older. 
So now I'm like, okay, we got to make this happen. <laughs> she's going to get mad at me for that one. But I think she has that thinking too, where she's like, yeah. kind of like, look, I'm not going to waste time and just go out with a guy if I don't really like him. If it just, eh. if there's, if she sees something, maybe he's not 100% living for the Lord. Maybe there's some things that are, are red flags where she's, she's like, pause. You well, because what, what are you doing? Yeah. Right. I exactly. mean, let's, let's, let's be real for a minute. Like, men need accountability. And as a guy, let's speak to the men out there, right? Yeah. What are you doing? Like, what's the first thing you pick up? It's attraction, right? It's physical. But in a relationship, you need more than just the physical. You need mind, body, and soul. Yep. So if you're a believer, you know the purpose of being called to relationship with someone. It's not to date them for five years. No. Right? It's a commitment. And the problem (laughs) is our culture today is very, they want everything immediately, right? It's like fast self-pleasure. Like, I want to feel good. I want it all right now. But the truth is... Love is not a feeling, it's a commitment. It's it's a promise that you made before God. Yep. I'm going to love this girl no matter what. And so it doesn't matter what you no. feel at some point, right? Get to it. So we we did. I proposed. We agreed to get married. We didn't get married right away because I, I deployed. I went back to Iraq almost right away. Um, this time with, with Blackwater, so you, as it was so, called. So, at the so time. You're, you're, you're married now? You're going back? We didn't get married. You're not married. I proposed. You proposed. And then I left. Okay. She really loved that. By the I way. was just going to say, she, she was okay with that one? She's probably like, I thought we were... Uh... So look, here's the deal. I, I got way off track, but you had mentioned, you know, what is it about it, you know, that makes you want to go back and stuff. Right. My Originally, I was going to tell you. So right around that time, I got a call from a former commanding officer of mine who said, hey, um, Blackwater's looking for guys. And uh, at the time, it was only... Special operations guys, soft guys that were getting in. I didn't have a special operations background. I was a regular army guy. But the exception to the special operations requirement was medics and canine handlers mm. because it was a specialty. And it wasn't just like any medic. It was you had to have combat experience. So, you know, the Lord had put me in this really niche little group that I was, I was a medic. And I had, you know, verified, documented combat time as a medic. And so I qualified. So I got this call. And of course, for me, I was like, do I want to run around with a bunch of Rangers, Force Recon guys, Marsoc? See, I was like, of course, that sounds great because I I wasn't (laughs) at that level, you know. Um, And I called a buddy of mine. This is to your point, right? I called a friend of mine, another medic. Talk about the difference in mentality here, right? And I was like, hey, Blackwater's looking for medics. You know, let's go. And he was like, are you out of your mind? Literally, he told me, he's like, I will never go there again. Never. We, we rolled the dice so many times. He's like, I will never go back there. And, and going back with a contractor is totally different, right? I, I don't think people really, I, I think you, you work with some of the military, but you're kind of on your own, right? Yes and no. I mean, it depends on who you're with, right? Blackwater had the State Department's high threat protection contract. Okay. So it was under a program called WIPS, Worldwide Personal Protective Service. And it was a solution that the government came up with to protect all these Americans that were there trying to rebuild the country. Mm. Originally, I was part of a unit. We were helping babysit those folks because after we, we, we destroyed the country's infrastructure in an invasion, and now we're pouring money to rebuild it, right? Imagine like you wrecked every part of a country's infrastructure, the water, Ministry of Interior, the railroad, the oil companies, everything. We won, oh. right? So they don't have any infrastructure. Right. And, and especially there, it was all Saddam's people. So as we rebuilt it, we got to bring civilian experts in, people that know about, you know, the water district. Right. Well, so the State Department hired Americans, brought them over, and, hey, helped the Iraqis rebuild their water district. So all of those people needed protection because 
uh, most of the fighting in Iraq was from foreign fighters. After the original invasion, it was Al-Qaeda, it was Muqtada al-Sadr, Army of Alan Sunar. These were a lot of Iranians, a lot of foreign fighters that were in there just looking to kill Americans, right? Because it, it was an opportunity to. Ugh. So, you know, roads were very dangerous. A lot of, a lot of IEDs and EFPs, like, like people now came to understand and uh, the Army and the Marine Corps were getting taxed on protecting those people because we had a mission to patrol and, and you know, whatever your mission was. And um, also then we were being tasked out to, like, the embassy to go, hey, come pick up these people and run convoys all day because they got to get out to, you know, whatever place they're going today and they, wow. need, to, they need to be protected. Right. So contracting was actually a very genius solution because what they did is they subcontracted out to private corporations to hire you know, former military guys. They love their country. And it was protective. There was no direct action mission. It was all convoy escort and security operations and protection. Um, is, is the pay worth it? I mean, obviously it's not worth it. There's no amount of pay. Well, but... no, no amount of pay is worth it if you die. <laughs> yeah, right? Right. But that's, that's the roll of the dice. So, um, More than the military? Oh, yeah. Pay? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Way more. But you have to, right? Because you're, you're taking what would normally say a battalion, right? Uh, well, battalions vary in size by branch. But let's say you got, you know, two to 300 young guys, teenagers, right? Like I was at that time when I first went. Right. And you got to pay logistics, food. Uh, think of the cost of moving a whole unit over there and then tasking them out to do something that they may or may not be proficient at because that's like a side gig that they were having us do, right? Babysit these diplomats right. and take them to their places. Versus... Blackwater, right? We'll do it with 10 guys, all subject matter experts, professionals. I don't have to worry about all the military stuff because all the training and money went into teaching us how to specifically do that job, how to run convoys, how to run protective operations, advanced parties, you know, DDMs, what we call snipers. Um, it was a very effective way because it was cheaper. Not so, a lot of red tape with, with, with that. I mean, everybody fell under the State Department guidelines. So that's, you know, use of force was the same. Um, but that that changed over the years because in the beginning, I mean, it was super violent. You know, when I was there, I mean, I, I started off telling you when I was there, active duty in the military, that was a rough year. Baghdad in two thousand five still is one of the bloodiest years on record right. in, in in twenty years there. Um, it's the advent of the IEDs I mentioned, and then quickly after improvised explosive devices, they went to EFPs, explosive form penetrators. That was a shape charge, right? That they actually took from our tech back in the nineteen forties. It's a hollow charge meant to pierce the hull of a ship. And most, uh, I would say, 99% of that material was coming from the IRGC in Iran. So they were, they were making or providing it. Because originally, we would find out it takes like a two-ton drill press to make the concave plate of, a, of an EFP. Well, so our soft guys would go out, right, go find all the presses in Baghdad. That's where they're coming from. So eventually that changed, and Iran started making them, and they would bring them across uh. the border. Um, is that so the the bottom doesn't blow out and it blows up? Is that what no? That it's it's the front it's the front plate. So imagine like the size of a coffee can. They they vary in size, but imagine a coffee can, right? Made of more um, sturdy material, not tin, and uh, it was usually brass or steel. And the plate is concaved in. So imagine like a, if a just a disc, and then you have to press it in so it looks like a right. cone, reverse cone. So the V is facing out, okay. and then you put a breech on the back that secures it. That's not going to blow off. So when the charge is set, that cone, it's, it's very similar to how a sable round works. It melts into a point, like a straight arrow, and it pierced through everything we had. It went through the armor. Even though originally I didn't have armor on the Humvees originally. They were soft skin, but in years later, that they, was they wild. That was wild. Yeah. Soft skin. 
It was nothing, right? Yeah. Well, we put like sandbags on the floor to try to stop things, but eventually we did get, while I was there, we got armored Humvees and then they upgraded to EFPs and it didn't matter because the EFPs went through armor like it was butter. And the IEDs are probably even to this day one of the most destructive things that veterans deal with over there, right? Yeah, I mean, probably that, I mean, that in firefights, I mean, oftentimes they went together, right? So I was in a, I was involved with an ambush in a, in a, in an area called Kadamiya Market in Baghdad. Um, we were running a mission, some mission for the State Department. We were babysitting some diplomat, taking him to and from. And on the way back, uh, we got into a complex ambush in the middle of a really crowded marketplace, right? It started with a vehicle borne improvised explosive device, a VBID or car bomb. Guy actually had his arms taped to the steering wheel. So he came out of the alley and just went, you know, head first towards our convoy. Hit the front vehicle, detonates. My buddy's up in the gun turret. He goes down right away. Um, a bunch of people injured. But but the real damage was the Iraqis. They blew it. This was Al-Qaeda. They blew it up in, in a crowded marketplace. So, like, 50 Iraqis died instantly. People were on fire everywhere, body parts. It was, it was pretty gruesome. I responded because I wasn't in the convoy. I was about a click away. And uh, I drove in. And it was still occurring. So after that, then there was small arms fire from the rooftops. There was RPGs and AKs. I pulled up near the back and just was, you know, because you're hearing people scream, Doc. And I'm running across, jumping over people on fire, getting up to the front. I didn't know that the main gunner was was down because he was slumped over. If for those listening, if, you, if you've never seen the inside of a Hummer where the, where, the, where the turret is, at that time we were using these slings that you would kind of rest in, right? So the gunner didn't always have to stand up. So he had kind of slumped back down into that sling. I just, I just seen. I was watching uh, Unbroken the other day, mm-hmm. and they're in the old nineteen forties planes, and the, yeah. the gunners are sitting in sitting in those. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a pretty effective way of giving you a break, right? So he slumped over. I opened the door. This is the first vehicle in line, and I'm screaming at him, and uh, he's not responding. So I reach in to grab him, and I pull him towards me, and as he falls like on top of me, I see that half of his head was gone. And it's, it's, it's just a big cavity once your brain's gone. You know, it's full of blood. So I pull him towards me, and he, it, all the blood spills onto my chest and down my legs. And I swear, I, I, like, froze for, like, a few seconds, you know? It was like, everything was just like, what just happened, you know? Karaskeel was his name. So I ended up pulling him out, dragging him across the street, getting him into an ambulance, which is a modified Humvee. And uh, I rode with him back to the combat support hospital with, with his head in my lap. And I remember, talk about vivid memories, right? I mean, this is some of the stuff when I said I had a hard time when I came back. Sure. I remember, what I most remember about that, besides the smell of the blood and the flesh, was his hair in my fingers. That's a weird thing to remember, but like, because I was holding his head, right? And I knew, well, we're going to have to go back, we're going to have to tell his mom and dad what happened here. Yeah. So, you can imagine, and everybody's story is different. Everybody handles it different, right? I got a good friend of mine who was in the Korangal Valley in Afghanistan. Um, you know, Restrepo was a documentary about that area. Uh, everybody's got their stories, man. Mosul, Fallujah, everybody views it differently. But, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I trip out the, what you said right now, that everybody handles it differently. Mm-hmm. I think that's I think that's what the average... American doesn't understand. I think they they know PTSD more than more than at any time in history. We know what it's about. Yeah. Um. I I think they I think people that don't really understand it kind of say like, well, why is this guy fine? 
Or why is that guy fine? Or why? how come it seems like all the veterans from World War II are just like, you know, the ones that are left, uh, still alive, that they were kind of like rah-rah, you know, about the war and, and didn't seem to like battle a little bit. You know, I had an uncle that was in Vietnam. He didn't really, mm. he, he was, I remember when he met my, my father-in-law. My father-in-law was in Vietnam too. Father-in-law never talked about Vietnam. Mm-hmm. My uncle Sonny would always talk about Vietnam like, this, that, it, everything, you know. And and when they met one day, just at a at a, I think it was a party, met one day, and my uncle was, hey, yeah. And my father-in-law was like, kind of standoffish a little bit, like he doesn't talk about it. Mm-hmm. And um, that was the first time I I realized how contrasting it, it really could be. The crazy thing is that my uncle would watch all the the war movies. Mm-hmm. Father-in-law didn't really. Um, and then he finally watched Black Hawk Down. Yeah. And for some reason, it triggered something in him. Like, it was like, I don't know if it was like at the time, maybe most, the most real to him or what, whatever it was, but yeah. it got him. And it, and, it, and it kind of messed him up a little bit to where he was like a little bit different. And um, mm. he still watched the movies and would talk about it, but it was, it was different now. Mm-hmm. And, and so it, I, that was the first time I really realized how veterans, they all deal, I guess they all, they all have it, but they all deal with it a different way, right? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, and I, I have a culture comment to that. Like, you know, me personally, um, turning to the Lord and my walk with Jesus uh, totally changed my life. My my mind, my memories, my heart, everything. Because it readjusts your perspective on life in general, right? And I don't know if that's true for every single person, but back in, um, you know, back in, you mentioned World War II, we had a much more homogenous culture that believed in certain things and values, Right. You went to church on Sunday. You, you you took care of your family. We we had these Christian Judaic beliefs. Whether or not you were a Christian or not, society as a whole believed that the Bible was a good guide for how to live your life, and um, it, it just as effective today as it was then. The Bible's advice for men and women leads to positive outcomes. It's healthy for you. Um, it's a it's a it's a correct way to view the world through the lens of reality, right? And you you take today's culture of secular humanism which is essentially anti-theist, right? You, you, yeah. you can, it's, it's an ideology based or premised on the fact that there's no God. So nothing happens before you die. Nothing happens after you die. The only thing that matters is now. It leads to a deep depression, right? They're letting themselves define everything. You see this with mm. the trans hysteria today yeah. where it's just like you can just make up anything you want because you feel like it. Well, as soon as your feelings become the definition of reality, you're screwed. Right, because think about that as applied to PTSD. Well, if the way I feel dictate, dictates my reality, well, I'm done. I'm a mess, right? Wow. And, and counselors have totally departed from the healthy advice of get a job, get back on the horse, you know, get married, go to church. They've they've now turned to like you go down to um, prescriptions, prescriptions, weed. It's like Everything. it's like ah, oh, you know, just smoke it out. You'll you know, it, it's just total lost guiding the lost blind guiding the blind Man, that, that is an excellent point that you said right now i never thought about that that the veterans that i mean trip on that the veterans that came back from world war ii had church probably more more veterans that came back from world war ii had went to church were part of church got back involved in church had some sort of sense of community at church Vietnam uh, uh, during that whole era, right? Mm-hmm. That's when America started like it started separating, right? Yep. But even now, I mean, that's an excellent point. I never thought of it that way, where they had an outlet, 
that mm-hmm. outlet was church, family, mm-hmm. you know, closeness, a, a community, a neighborhood where everybody was helped each other. You come back, you're already feeling alone. Now you're really alone because you don't have no community. You don't have no, no, nobody to lean on. You, you maybe you're lucky if you have a family that yep. cares about you. You you don't know God. You've been told that God doesn't exist. You've been told that God can't help you. That He doesn't hear your prayers. Mm. And you and you get so far. I never thought of that. That is an excellent point. Well, it's 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 exactly why I always tell people that whether you're a Christian or not, it behooves you on the political side to vote for people who have Christian Judaic values because it is those values that give you the liberties that you enjoy. It's you know no, no matter how much of a hater you are, Christian Judaic values built the most successful nation the world has ever seen. And and if you're in America, you're living in it. And, and that's undeniable. And that's why there's such a hatred from the left, you know, because they want this progressive ideology to move forward. But in order to get there, they have to work really hard to destroy a lot of history and foundations behind why we are who we are. That's why they constantly present this false narrative of, you know, you should hate your country. Everyone's racist. Everyone's divided. It's It's all premised on lies. If you do a little bit of digging, there's not a lot of truth to that, right? No, there, there's not a lot of truth at all. There's a little bit because they always, you know, Satan's great at taking a little lie and, and, and or a little truth. Right. And, and mixing it with a big lie. But no, the, the, the truth is that culturally we are declining at an incredible rate. And that is entirely due to our abandonment of God. We, we've basically told God we don't need you here. I mean, just the other day I was just telling a friend of mine how how um, how shameful. Right. What a slap in the face that. For us, as one nation under God, all the benevolence and blessing that we have, we're the wealthiest country in the world by far, right? For all the complaining that people have, you can go out and do whatever you want, literally. You can be anybody. You can do whatever. Everyone has equal opportunity to do what they want. There's not a single uh, systemic racist law. You can't find one. It's not true. No. It doesn't matter if you're black, brown, white. It, It doesn't matter at all. Everyone has the same opportunity. It's been that way for a long time. And by the way, it was Christian ideals that fought for it to be that way, right? So if that's the case, think about how shameful the other day I'm watching. And here you have Biden, right, hangs the trans flag on the White House above and center of the American flag. It's such a desecrated, like, slap, you know, to for, everything that we've been given. For less than 6% of the population, right? I, I, I talked to Brandon Tatum. You, you follow Brandon Tatum. Yeah. And I asked, him th- I asked him that question. I said, how did they jump every other, you know, the, 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 you know, the, the black man's rise and the, and, the, and the brown man's rise? How did they... All of a sudden, you know, the, the black guys could say that they've been they've been striving for equality forever, right? They can say, you know, the last fifty years we've been trying. You know, the brown guy comes in here later, you know, after or you know, and's trying to get up there too. Everybody's trying to get up there. And Brandon's like, because they because he jumped on the back of all of them as a civil uh cause, jumped the fence and didn't help nobody over. He goes, That's how they passed up everybody. Cause I was like, How did this get and and, and I always wonder like how come like the brown people fighting for the brown people and the black people fighting the black people and the poor fighting for the poor? How come they're not like scratching their head and saying, how did y'all jump over all of us? And your things like front and center at oh, it's, Target, it's disgusting. At, at Starbucks, yeah. everywhere. And it, it doesn't it, tell me, tell me, does the black community have a problem being compared like their plight for freedom is the same as the dude that wants to have sexual mutilating surgery? Like you're saying, I mean, that's the same thing. I mean, one's a choice and one's not. 
And people are going to hate on that, but that's that's a fact. It's a fact. And I'll tell you exactly why they're doing it, right? Because if you think for a moment that Hillary Clinton or Bernie Sanders or any of these politicians care about no. the trans guy in, in North Hollywood, no. Or the corporations. They don't care. Or the corporations and their DEI, CEI efforts, no. What, what it's really about, and this goes all the way back to Alfred Kinsey, the father of the sex cult, right? Alfred Kinsey was a guy that did experiments on the orgasms of three-year-olds. It's disgusting, right? These are child molesters. And why did he do it? It wasn't just because of his sexual infatuation. It was, it was a means to an end. The sex cult's goal is to attack a primary uh, foundation of Western civilization, and that is the core family. Oh, again, yeah. again, this is oh, why yeah. I tell people, like, hey, you don't have to be a Christian. You could be anything you want, but it's good for you to vote for people that believe this because we have long known, long, long known, this is a fact, the core family is an essential part of a healthy country. And if you want to change a healthy republic, like a freedom-loving republic like the United States, towards Marxism and leftism and socialism, you have to attack the things that make it what they are. Right. And the family is a big part of that, So they, hence the birth of the sex cult. They have to convince young men, hey, don't, don't protect yourself sexually. Don't keep your mind clean. Don't just love your wife and build strong families and raise strong kids who love their country. No, no, no. Go off and just seek self-exaltation and right. pleasure. You do Crazy. whatever you want through pornography, through uh, free sex, whatever. And the outcome of that is more people with less values that vote a certain way. The left wants people destroying themselves because the more you're down, the more dependent you are on the government. And let's not forget, right? Benjamin Franklin said that dependence breeds subservience. That's always been the goal of the left. It's to get people dependent. It's big government right. versus small government. So, you know, it turns out there's a practical application to God's word. What, Everybody what, benefits. Can you explain to the audience what's the problem with big government? Well, at its face value, big government means a lot less freedom. So we can start there, right? I mean, we've seen that with, with, with COVID, right? Jeez, I know. I, 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 I told people, like, do you see this? And people laughed at me. Early on, I was like, hey, this is going to be a little taste of a, a little bit of socialism here. And they're like, come on, bro. This is the, and, I, and as the as the years went on, because they went on like two and a half years, right? They were like, yeah, this is stupid. And so I, it's, I mean, that was like a little a, a little experiment for you to really realize. Look at this is how evil government can be. I mean, okay, so so yeah, COVID's a great example, right? Um, even nationally, we could talk about all the things that the left is offering people, right? As if. You're not capable of doing anything. They always talk to people like they're stupid, right? It's right. like you need the government because you can't get your own driver's license, right? Well, we just seen that today with the affirmative action yeah. deal, right? Scott yeah, exactly. Scott yeah. shot that down, and there was white people on Twitter saying that this will, this is, you know, this is never black people will never get into college because they don't have this. Yeah, how racist is that? And I was like, that's that's so offensive. first of all, you're white. Then you're saying that these people are not smart enough, and they need an extra hand. I was like, I know plenty of black and brown people that can get into college on their own merits and not because you're giving them, uh, you know, letting them get F's in classes. The, the, the Democrats want you to believe that you need them to do anything in life. It's very antithetical to the American way of life. Americans don't believe that. We don't believe we need the government for everything. No. We can do it. But, but here's the thing is they work really hard to convince people otherwise, right? They keep them down. Let me let me just practically, you know, put it this way. What have the Democrats done for inner cities over the last 50 years? Nothing. You go to any Democrat-run city, Los Angeles, cesspool, feces it's on the awful. street, heroin needles, fentanyl everywhere, Detroit, right? 
same thing. Went totally bankrupt. Everybody lost their pensions. Gang violence is out of control. Chicago, right? There's so many murders. Hey, don't go to the south side. The, the, the cops take like an hour and a half to get to the bodies because there's so many. They can't handle them all. I mean, they, they do a lot of talking, right? But on the practical application side, tell me, would you rather live in, in a conservative, like, freedom-loving area or would you rather live in South Central? I mean, the, the choice speaks for itself. And, you and know? I lived I lived in Southeast forever. Southeast mm. LA forever. And granted, I'm not going to tell everybody where I live, but I like where <laughs> I live now. And I'll tell you yeah. one thing. It's more conservative. Yeah. And everybody that I know that grew up in the neighborhood that's able to move out, they usually move out. Absolutely. Because they know they don't want to raise a family there. They know it's much safer. Mm-hmm. I always tell people there's a few things that, you, that everybody wants. Leave me alone. I want safety. I want to worship my God, whoever it is. I, I believe in Jesus, and I want to feel. I, I, I want to be able to not get taxed the heck out of my pocket, right? And be able to make a living. Yeah, simple. And I tell everybody, if you believe in those things right there, you're more conservative than you think you are. Absolutely. I mean, it's very simple. And I, I mean, I think the left has gone so far left, right? Radical radical yeah that i think even the average you know just left of center de- center democrat goes yeah, this is crazy what's what's the bill uh, i'm gonna look it up so i don't mess it up what's the bill that just uh i was just talking about it today um is it ab 665 about the, 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 the your parental kids? kidnapping yeah. bill yeah yeah so um today i got a guy send that to me today so that's a bill right that's up here in california that's a great example right this is proposed in part by anthony weiner and uh, some other Democrat in Sacramento. This is a bill that says if you don't affirm your child having some kind of transsexual surgery or whatever he wants to be, the government, now the state of California, can take your children. This is real. Like, that's that's not a joke. And that's one. The other one is if they go and they, and they complain at the school that they don't right. want to, uh, uh, they could say anything to their teacher. Yeah, right? it's, it's teacher, doctor, yeah, totally counselor, subjective. anybody, and say, Hey, I don't want, you know, I, I, they can get mad because you took the phone away from, the, from them that day, right. right? They can go to school, complain to the counselor. The counselor going to say, you know what? We're going to remove you from your home. You could be, what, emancipated from your parents at 12 years old? Yep. <laughs> and be a ward of the state? Yeah, so perfect. You want to ask about big government, small government. There you go. This is big government saying your children don't belong to you. Right. If you don't agree with us 100%, we're going to take your kids and we're going to put them in state shelters. And again, what's what's the point, right? Big picture, it's all about the destruction of the core family unit. Everywhere, by the way, and if you do a quick overview of history, every movement, you know, I, I, we, I like to say leftist movements, but in truth, it's, it doesn't matter what spectrum. The, the real dividing line is they're secular humanists. They're people who have rejected God, and they've made a deity out of government. Go- government becomes God for them, right? So that's why you get all these crazy dictators. People do things for them because they're like gods, because they don't believe. It's like we said before. They don't believe anything happens before you die. They don't believe anything happens after. So the the God is now, right? Yeah. And every country, you look at Mao in China, you look at the Camarouge in Cambodia, they all went after the kids. They had to get kids away from their parents because there's such strength in the family unit. It's a structure that God designed to make powerful, effective people. Good, healthy humans come from a strong mom and a strong dad. Right. Any disruption of that, I mean, this is why our platform believes in, there's two things that we do not ever waver on uh, when you talk about conservative political platforms, and that is uh, marriage and life. Now, those are two things that we hold very sacred because they're institutions and things that God ordained and created. And whenever you mess with that, 
you're 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 destroying your society. I agree, man. Right? I mean, yeah. the, the Soviets did the same yeah. thing. They got to capture that next generation. So if you look at it through that lens, just objectively for a second, you know, take a step back. Look at what the Democrats are doing nationally, but especially here in California. For They're years, constantly going after yeah. our kids. For years, I, I I tell people, black and brown people, I say, hey, do you do you realize like they removed the father from the home? early on and they're like what do you mean so when your dad or whoever lost their job yep. right and had to go on welfare unemployment whatever if, if 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 the father was not in the home the mom would get more money <laughs> how does that make sense oh, crazy so what happened it was more beneficial if you leave fine see ya yep and the family's broken up i mean it's been it's been like this for years, let's just chip away, remove prayer. Yeah, re, 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 you know, and I, I would tell people it's going downhill. I think, I think the only kind of like the children of Israel, right? It's got to get so bad, and God kind of says, "Okay, I'm going to give you." Basically, what does He always do? He He gives you godless, weak leaders because basically, it's the ones that you ask for. Yeah. And he and he removes his hands from from it. I I think we're uh, we're there right now. I I think the only good thing about where we're at right now is that the average good person, not even a, not even a Christian or a Catholic or anything like that, but the average just regular family guy that just goes to work every day, comes home, loves his kids, loves his wife, realizes like, what the heck? I didn't sign up for none of this yeah. craziness. Yeah. Right. Well, here's here's so here's my take on that. One, hard times are coming, for sure. All all of these bills about taking your kids and things, that's just the beginning, right? Newsom also, by the way, just recently launched a campaign for the twenty eighth amendment. He's going after the second amendment. Yeah. Like we said for years, right. he's gonna take your right to be able to defend yourself. And and, and let crime go crazy here. So and let crime out of control in California. Right. They don't even arrest people anymore. But but here's there's here's here's where I um here's where we join the fight, right? And, and I did mention, right, my book's coming out. It's yeah. done. Uh, we're we're uh, going to print here pretty soon. It's self-titled Defining Truth. That's the name of our organization. And it's going gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna to rub people the wrong way, some people, uh, in a good way. Because I, I didn't expect that from you. I thought it was going to be yeah. just a, a, a cool book you can read to your kids right before hey, bed. look, <laughs> uh, Jesus said in the book of Luke, right, uh, woe unto you if all men like you, right? I'm paraphrasing. Yeah. Because so your fathers did to the false prophets. Yeah. And this is where I turn and I look at the church because everything that's happening culturally, I'm going to turn back and look at the church. Now, there's one way we talk to the world. They don't believe, you know, there's there's one interaction there, relational evangelism. It's how Jesus related to the tax collectors and the prostitutes and how he tried to reach them, right? But there's a different way how we dealt with the people in the religious institutions and the church. Right. You it's pre- a stronger you way. hard, yeah. Right? And and my, my, my deal with the church is there is no reason whatsoever if, if you're going to a church that's not equipping you to deal with the culture, you should leave that church. Okay, let me, 100%. L- let me ask you this. So a lot of people don't believe that. A lot of people believe that, oh, we're Christians. Uh, you know, this this world is is bound to end, mm. and we're, we're, we're out. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Why are we fighting this fight? Let's just worry about salvation on our little church over here. Why should we fight that? Well, uh, what is fight? one of the greatest commandments, right? Is it not to love your neighbor? So is it is it very loving when God has put you in a country? Remember, we, we don't live in the New Testament. We don't live under Nero. We don't live in a Roman Empire. We live in a, in a republic. 
where the government, people always throw, Christians love to throw the passage from Romans about submitting to the governing authorities. Well, let me ask you this. Who's the king in America? It's you. We are. We right. are, right? A republic yeah. is governed by the people for the people. You choose who your leaders are. You choose who's going up there to make those decisions for your family. So it's not very loving, right, to disassociate yourself as an alleged holder of the truth. You're a Christian. You're supposed to represent the light and truth and reality and love people around you. It's not very loving to kick back and let the Marxist go forth, the godless you know, heathens who don't believe in, in anything uh, uh, related to the Bible, and just kick back and say, you know what? I'm going to pull the monk move and just stay in my house, disassociate myself while my society burns to the ground. That's mm. step one, right? You're called to be involved in civic application because it's not enough just to believe in Jesus. Remember, even the demons believe in Jesus. They know he exists. The difference for a believer is that you put your faith in him and you live it practically. You're called to be salt and light, not just sit there and go to church and, and be a bump on a log. If that's what you're doing, you're wasting your time. You might as well just go home. And the, and the church has done that for a long time, right? I, I, I'm Way a, too long. I, I'm a firm believer. See, my dad was... From the neighborhood, but when we, we became believers. He was he was in the army. Was always very patriotic. So when we got when we got saved, um, you know, I would go and, I would go and pray with my dad, right? Mm. And I remember my dad always would pray for the, our our country, pray for our country, Lord, all, all the time. Mm. I always prayed for the country, but I never really heard a lot of country in church. They, voting time, you know, hey, you know. Do your research, everybody. You know, okay, great. But we, we would never, like, bombard heaven for this country. Or, you know, 9-11, okay, yeah, everybody's on board, you know, for praying for that. But never really kind of faded a little bit. You know what I mean? It's very hard to find a church. You know, I visited a church recently, and I asked, I straight up asked the pastor, is this a woke church? <laughs> he said, no. I said, okay, cool. I'll come back. Good. <laughs> you know what I mean? But but that's but that's where we're at. Well, but I think a lot, of, yeah. a lot of Christians kind of just, I call it sleeping in the fire. They're sleeping the fire, right? It's just burning around them. It's, oh, okay, well, God's going to save us. Or yeah. we're, we're not going to be here much longer. So That's a, It's a total cop-out, man. Prayer, it, it is, right? Prayer is one aspect of a healthy Christian life, okay? It's not everything. There's a practical application side. You know, last Sunday, we covered the story of Philip in Acts chapter 8, right? That's a great example because there was a couple things that jumped out about the story of Philip that are very appropriate for today's application. One, Philip had a really solid ministry and a good thing going for him where he was at in Samaria. He had a healthy church. He was thriving. He was the dude at that location, right? And God was like, Philip, I want you to get on the road to Gaza, the one that goes through the desert. And that's it. So, so you can imagine Philip going, why, why would I do that? I can just pray for the people in Gaza. You know what I mean? I'll just stay in my church and not move. In fact, there were two roads. That to would Gaza. be very American. Exactly. There were very American church. Yeah. There were two roads to Gaza. One went through the desert and one actually called the King's highway went along the coast through Capernaum and it was a beautiful road. And it was, uh, you know, but God said, I want you to take the road less traveled. Wow. I want you to go out into the desert and, and notice too, that he didn't tell him where he was going. Right. So he does it. So for one, it's because he was in the right place with the Lord. And that's what I would challenge the church today. You're never going to see the culture war coming if you're not in the word every day. If you're not prepared for what's going on, your mind isn't set on things above, right? If you're too focused on your own activity and God's secondary in your life, you're useless in a battle. This this fight we have coming, we need soldiers who are locked on. Right. If, if you're focused on, you're distracted, you're no good to me, right? Yeah. So one, he was focused because he heard the Lord, right? He heard the angel of the Lord said, Philip, I want you to go. So he was ready for it. Two, he obeyed. So when God told him go, he did it. He didn't procrastinate. He didn't wait. 
He didn't hang out in Samaria and be like, I don't know, I got a good thing going here. He just got up and he went. And you know what followed that that being in the word and obedience then came understanding because as he arrived, then God said, go overtake that chariot because there's a guy there who, as we all know later, right, that guy's going to go and spread the gospel into North Africa because he's a high-ranking money guy for the queen and he needs to hear about Jesus because the Holy Spirit was already working on his life. So again... We don't know what the Holy Spirit's working in people's lives. Even people that we don't like, even the most far-left Marxists in this culture who are doing disgusting things with our kids, you never know what God's been doing in their mind and in their heart. You don't know right. if that moment, maybe you're the guy that's supposed to go and say, hey, man, Jesus loves you. Or, or, or let me let me expound to you the dangers of this political ideology that you're spreading. You don't know what kind of work God's already done on that person. All he requires of us is obedience, right? I, I had one person... This 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 woman hit me up, and she found the podcast just by random. She listened to the podcast. Not a believer. Mm. She was just afraid of where this country was going. Mm-hmm. She found. She listened to it. She reached out, connected her with my wife. We found her a church where they live. They're 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 committed to their church. They have awesome. They, they, they're they were they had a, uh, a construction business. They they employ people at the church. Their kids wow. are in the church. But, but 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 with that said, if we didn't speak out about things here, if if we didn't say things like this, she would never have found. It. She would. Who knows what would happen, right? When you step out and you speak truth, and there's a, you're defining truth. You speak truth. People want to listen, and I think people are looking for answers more yeah. than ever right Absolutely. now. Absolutely, because they're afraid. They're scared. People are leaving leaving California mm-hmm. because they're afraid for their you know safety. They're afraid for their kids that are growing up in these schools. All these things, and people are searching. So well, if the, and I, if the I church like isn't the, doing it, who else is going to? Saying, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm like, if, if the church, this is a great opportunity for the yeah. church. Well, you know, I think a lot of it too is like the church doesn't know what to do. A lot of these guys, man, they got the cozy comfort, comfortable ministries. They're doing their pastor thing. You know, they like surfing, they're on the beach, SoCal's a beautiful place to live. And then all of a sudden, here comes hardship. Here comes a war. And a lot of these guys, they weren't ready for it. They weren't ready for what Satan was doing in the culture. He's been working overtime, as you pointed out, for many, many years to destroy our culture, to destroy our kids. You know, we mentioned porn before. That's such a huge way of destroying men in this culture. And young boys who are being exposed to pornography. When you and I were little, man, there was no cell phones. No. Maybe a beeper. Maybe somebody threw a magazine somewhere and we'd accidentally find it or whatever. Your kids have a a portal to hell in their hands all the time. And and that's just one thing, right? So so my point is the world's been working overtime to destroy the family and God's structure for a family. Redefining who they are. Kids and, and, and young boys and young girls don't know who they are. You know, they don't even know what gender they are. And, and you're telling me the church can't engage in the culture war? Here, here's the lie that they bought. The devil came along and told the church, these are political issues. When in fact, they're not. They're God's issues. They're moral issues. Life is about God. The government taking your children and raising them, they don't belong to the government. They belong to you. That's your charge and ministry before God. These are moral issues of sexuality and morality that the church relinquished to the world. The world came along and said, oh, we're going to label this political. And as soon as they did that, pastors were like, oh, I can't talk about politics. I guess I got to be quiet about it now. And it's like, dude, did you not read Luke chapter six when Jesus said, woe to you when all men love you? Like, you're not here to please people. You're here to tell the truth, right? And he said that if they hate you, don't worry. They hated me first. They must skip that part. (laughs) They must skip that part. No, you you don't have to be a politician. And here's my thing. And, um, you know, with 
with defining truth, this is and this is what the book's all about too. We're we're trying to equip people who who maybe they're not getting it from a good source on how to engage in the culture war. So it's not That's good. there's always a practical end to what God says. God just doesn't just leave it there and say, you know, well, we're pro-life and you know, we, we value the life in the womb, and then just because it's a religious point. No, there's a practical application to it. Right. God commands us to do things because he loves us. And you want proof? America is the proof. This massive, wealthy, benevolent country, our founders decided to base this nation off what the Bible suggested a country should look like. Everything you know about American history from the left is a total lie. They're lying to you. You know, like... Let's let's racism is a constant tool from the left, right? They want everybody to hate each other and everybody has to be divided into identity groups. You know, they can't even say like you're a father. No, it's like you're brown, you're Asian, you're white, you're gay, you're I mean it's like dude, give it a rest, yeah. bro. Like so here's one aspect, right? In the book we have a chapter we covered this letter that the vice president of the Confederacy wrote, okay? I I found this it was fascinating, so I put it in there because it's in the very first chapter titled Truth, okay? Chapter 1. And in this section, here's the vice president of the Confederacy. This is, you know, during the Civil War, who's writing a letter about how angry he was that the founding fathers wanted to do away with slavery and how they thought it was detestable before God and they hated it and they didn't know how to get rid of it because the whole world had slavery. Remember, we didn't invent slavery. The whole world had it. We got rid of it faster than any country on earth. You know how we died by the hundreds of thousands, hundreds of thousands of white boys went to fight in the South and died by the thousands so that we could free this country from the evils of slavery. That's something the left doesn't want you to know. They want to resurrect the hatred and the division because through division, that's how they take power. So, again, some would say, well, that's a political issue. I say, that's God's issue. We're talking about truth and lies, morality and righteousness. The church is not to be divided, right? I'm sorry, but when has that message ever changed? You hear these woke churches that are like, oh, we need to be more inclusive. They're following the DEI guidelines of BlackRock. It's right. like, bro, right. like, where, where did Jesus make a racial issue in here? Is not the gospel unto the Jew and the Greek and alike, man, woman, slave, or free? I mean, the Bible's been teaching us that forever. I, I grew up in that. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you, I didn't all, even... It was already all inclusive. My I, gosh. I, I had I had young people when this whole thing came out and being inclusive, and, 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 I, and I was like, you know... The BLM signs, believers out there early on with the BLM signs, and I'm like, wait a minute, what, what, why are you why are you having the sign for? Oh, because we believe in this, bro. I go, what did you believe in before? I wanted to let you know that this podcast is brought to you by Elevate Ministries. Elevate Ministries is an authentic, passionate, and innovative church in the heart of Orange County, California. They strive to make their services welcoming and encouraging by intentionally engaging you in all senses to stimulate a spiritual hunger. If you're looking for a great church that's on a mission to change the world one person at a time, I encourage you to check them out at www.elevateministries.com and on Instagram at Elevate Ministries. Yeah. Good job, pastors. You, what, BLM, let, you, let, you support an organization that gave hundreds of thousands of dollars well, well, that, to transgender strip shows in elementary schools. Yeah, and people became you know I mean? rich and bought houses in Beverly Hills with the money. But early on, they were like, well, we, we support this cause. And I said, well, okay, first, know what you're supporting. Know, where the, know who made this out. Soros, you know, organization, funded organization early on to cause division. So if you're saying that black lives matter, I agree. All lives matter. Yes. Oh, all I can't li- say that. That's racist. I, I know. I know. And I said, all lives matter. And they're like, well, black lives matter. We, we, we need to look out for them. And I, and I said, you're a believer. What were you doing prior 
to this to 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 holding that sign. You weren't looking out for them because we're called to look out for everybody. So now you, because you're holding the sign, you were a believer. So you should this should have been automatic for you from the jump. It's all a lie, dude. It's all a lie to begin with. You, all of the you, stats on racial stuff and policing, it was all proven, disproven. It's all a lie. DOJ keeps records on all that stuff. I know. They don't want to hear it. Do you think it's it, – do you think the lies are bigger than just people being dumb? Well, here's what I uh, – Maybe that's not Here's right what word. I equate it to. Here's <laughs> what I equate it to. How do you deceive a population who lives in a beautiful country like this, right? It's like <clears> – <throat> excuse me. How do you convince Americans who live in this, like, Disneyland utopia of Southern California that they should somehow join the revolution and fight for Marxism? You first have to convince them that there's a problem. You have to divide people. You have to scare them. You have to. This is like communism 101, bro. We have the books. We know how to do this, right? The communist actually wrote pamphlets on how to take a country over for communism. And if you read the pamphlets, you can probably get them at your library. They are literally what the Democratic Party is doing in America. It's exactly the same. So you have to come in and convince people to hate each other. You have to create a target, right? This is... Create this a is, problem. Right. This is um, uh, Gramscian Marxism, right? It's class warfare. But it doesn't have to be just rich and poor. It could be racial. It could be you know sexual, sexual gender. Yeah. It could be whatever divide. Religious. But in that divide, you have to create an evil, and you have to really demonize them, right? Remember when Hillary Clinton said, anybody who voted for Trump is deplorable. Yeah. Remember that word? Yeah. That's classic. She trained under communists, right? She, she came up under Saul Alinsky, who was a known communist perpetrator in the United States. He, she, that, that, that was not an accident. She, she made, she demonized. She made the opposition so evil. In other words, to say, if you vote for these people, you must be evil. You don't, you're not a racist, right? Oh, good. So then vote for Democrats, right? So the whole thing's a lie. It's all a facade. We had a Harvard, a black Harvard professor that did a very deep, in-depth study on racism in law enforcement and found 0% bias in policing. Zero. The numbers are staggering. And you can go read the whole study and you can go find it out for yourself. You know, we, we haven't touched on it too much, but I spent, you know, 10 years in law enforcement. I worked patrol. I worked uh, investigations, uh, both federal and local. I, I, I don't recall ever, ever, not once, any accepted racial anything far from it we chase facts we're colorblind right we, we we okay so there has to be a small percentage somewhere of well, cops that do bad stuff well yeah it's like saying well is there is there a small percentage of bakers that in are America that do bad stuff you know right it, no matter no, no matter what category of group there's always gonna be evil into, and there's somewhere. gonna be some bad person right there. yeah but the, you're saying that the, the percentage of police officers law enforcement make good decisions oh 100 percent Hundred percent. Here, here's here's make good decisions multiple times a day, many many times, and that's what that's what they're lying about, right? What they're doing is the the left is masters at taking a small incident and they make it look really big. Okay, let's they, let, 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 okay George Floyd. Mm-hmm. Okay, all bad, bad situation, bad the way he handled it. I, I'm not saying he was. I'm not saying the guy's racial or anything like that, or, or, or racist or anything like that. But do you think I could give you my opinion on George Floyd all day? But instead, I'll just give you the facts. Right? Okay. What did the forensics uh, report say about his death on drugs? He died of fentanyl overdose. He didn't die of asphyxiation. Uh, do you know how big he was? Yeah, he's big he, dude. So he's fighting with these guys right for a long time. He's got a violent past against uh, both women and minors. It's a bad dude, right? Um, I don't envy those guys. 
And I don't even know, I, I, I'm not going to put myself in their shoes. Would I have held somebody down? I've held somebody down before. Have you ever tried to stop somebody from stabbing you? Like, or I've you know, tried not, to stop somebody, stop somebody in jujitsu that's right. that big. It's, it's, it's hard, right? Yeah. So, so did it, it looked bad, right? Because of the way that he was holding him down. But at the end of the day, he swallowed a bag of fentanyl, which is currently one of the most dangerous drugs in the world. Number one killer of young people in the country, fentanyl. Overdoses are out of control because of the lack of control on the southern border. This dude had fentanyl on him, didn't want to go to jail, so he ate drugs, and the drugs killed him. Because you can't eat a bag of fentanyl and then fight the cops. Your heart's going to explode. It doesn't take that much. No. It doesn't even take that much. In fact, you can do one hit, right? I, I, I've worked, I you know, did narco stuff. I, I've gone I into houses where dudes got the have, straw, and they yeah. got the little foam things coming out of their mouth, dead, one hit, off the stove. Right. So... So what, what, what was George Floyd about? It was an opportunity. The Democrats saw an opportunity to say, look, there's a white cop, even though there was other cops that weren't white around him. Right. They're like, perfect opportunity. There's a white cop. There's a dead black guy. Let's make this a political thing, and let's run a campaign. They're masters at that. Now, let's say just for a minute that George Floyd was just a wonderful person, and he never did anything wrong, and this guy you know, was a true racist who killed him just because he's black. Because that's the, what the Democrats want you to believe, right? which is asinine. Right. Even if that was true, we do millions of detentions and stops in law enforcement across this country every year. What would one incident do when you extrapolate it to a country of hundreds of millions of people? I, I think people don't realize that. And, I, and I've told people, okay, we, we can have one bad thing. It's 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 like one bad pastor, right? That steals all the church's money, all right, or or, or runs off with his secretary. It it, it, it doesn't it doesn't um, paint everybody like that. And I think that that's the problem we run into with police. I don't think people realize like they do all these stops all the time. Is there bad people there? There's always going to be bad people. There's evil in this world. We know that it's it's going to be something out there. But the percentage of Stops that go well is way greater, right? It's got to be like in the 90 percentile that go fine and you go on your way and there's not no issue and it's great. I, uh, there's, there's all that info is out there. People can read it. They just don't want to. The statistics on uh, negative findings was of all the stops, the millions of stops nationally conducted and tracked by the DOJ, less than .003 were found to have any wrongdoing in them. And those that were found were properly dealt with. Dudes get fired. Cops go to jail all the time uh, when it happens, right? But but that's the number straight up, 0.003%. So is that a really a systemic issue? No, they're lying to you. Yeah. They, they found a great poster example. They blow it up and they run a political campaign. Mind you, do what? where's BLM? Bro, I don't hear anything about the police now. Well, but because BLM. it's not an election year. Yeah. It's it's watch every election year the Democrats they only run on one thing everybody doesn't vote for us is racist that's their most favorite thing to say yeah right that and hating Christians so it's a divide that they see works I mean everybody wants to complain about Jan- January six and the dudes that marched in the Capitol but nobody wants to talk about the four years of BLM burning the country down to the ground I, I was in the riots in La Mesa right as a deputy I was on the riots front line dude we were there for over twenty hours all through the night. People throwing fire Molotov cocktails and rocks. They blew up Chase Bank right in front of me. They they were organized like a military. They had barrels of rocks and bricks and pallets. incendiary devices and pallets. I saw all that firsthand. And they destroyed thousands of uh, dollars worth of people's businesses. Just innocent people in the neighborhood, right? Totally, probably millions in damage to the city of uh, La Mesa. 
That's just one particular incident. And that happened all over the country. You know how many people died over those protests? Like hundreds of people died across yeah. the country oh, yeah. over nothing. All colors, too. All colors yeah. over nothing. Yeah. They're lying to you, right? You want to talk about, well, there was seven incidents this year where police shot people. I'll be like, ah, how many people were shot in the south side of Chicago? Like in the first six months of the... of the One look, weekend. It's all, it's all a lie. Anytime you look at something, you have to look at it in, in view of reality, right? You have to look at it in... If there's 100 million people and one person does something bad, is that a systemic problem? Is that something I should burn my country down no. to the ground? The... This is not um, this is not by accident. It's by design. The left knows their policies are very destructive. They have to get people to hate their opponents in order to keep winning elections. So every election year, they come out with the same thing: "You're a racist." Uh, you know, go after the police. We'll, we'll give you free money. We'll give you free everything. Right? <laughs> remember when Obama? I remember when Obama got elected. People in the park got the they, phone. There was people. Yeah, I got a free phone and a free bike and free gas. And I vote. <laughs> they asked one lady in Chicago, "Why would you vote for Obama?" And she was like, "Because Obama's going to pay for my gas." And I'm just like, "Bro, this is the same old book." And keep people keep following it. But but here's here's the let's look at the deeper the spiritual point here. Why, why is all this happening? Right? Because as believers, you know, we we see there's two worlds. We see the, the realm of the political, and we see the spiritual realm, and we see the spirit of this world and the church. And here's, what's, here's what they're really targeting. The original sin, pride, right, oh. is, is Satan said to Eve, the reason God doesn't want you to eat that fruit is because you'll be like God. It's all about usurping God's authority. Right. They, you can see that pattern repeated Everywhere you see that when they say you're a man, no, you, you're not a man. You can be a woman if you want. Woman, you can. Woman can be a man. What's right is right. What's wrong and what's wrong is right. They, they. Well, well not only did Satan pass God, he he passed Adam too. He went for, for the woman, right? So, so that was that was the playbook, right? It's a playbook now. We, well, we, yeah, absolutely. We remove God, remove the husband. We leave the the yeah. wife and kids vulnerable, and, and it's we go the same. It's the same desire that we're all born with, which is that that offering of power, right? That 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 um, it's just like the founder said: America has two problems, or man has two problems: ambition and avarice, the love of money and the love of power. That can translate a lot of different ways, but it's originally Satan's the OG when it comes to that message. Yeah. He was like, "You can be God," and and what is what are the Democrats doing today? There's no God. You're God. The yeah. government's God. Whoever you make up, it could be God. Whatever you make. nobody. Yeah. If anybody tells you that what you're doing is wrong, they're a bigot, right? Or they're a racist, right? I just listened last week, in the, in the two weeks ago in the state assembly, uh, California Assemblyman Bill Asaley was talking about uh, or stood up against the, you know, the whole trans thing or whatever. Right. Uh, I forget the specific conversation. But then, you know, Corey Jackson, who's a Democrat here in, in California, called him a white supremacist. <laughs> The dude is Arab, and his parents immigrated okay. here. Okay, right? so this is I had a conversation be... with him. Go ahead, go ahead. And I'm just like, but but yeah, but I'm just like, so so anybody that disagrees with you is a bigot and a racist, and like, and fundamentally, and this is what <laughs> I, I address this in the book a lot. Truth is not relative. Sorry, bro. Didn't did, didn't the view just? Ha what, who were they talking about? I think they were Hispanic, and they were saying that uh, that if you can still be a white supremacist even if you're Hispanic, and I thought. What a, what a lie that they're trying to tell you now. Now you know they're, why they're saying that because Latinos are leaving the Democrat Party I, by the thousands, bro. I, I I know they're leaving, and I, I tell people this all the time. Listen, Hispanics, Mexicans, Cubans, all them they, they, they didn't understand the Cubans I, it, when when they voted Republican, you know, in Florida. And I said, 
what don't you understand? Like, they came to this country because they believe in this country from a tyrannical government. They came what, escaping leftism. Yeah. That's what they did. So what, what did you think? They seen the worst of the worst. You're telling me they, wanna, they want this country to go that way? No. The other thing, too, with Hispanics, just like this Dodger Stadium thing, right? Big Dodger fan, man. Sucks. Right, but but <laughs> I covered this on my last. Show. But they paid the they paid the price for that. Yeah, and and it, it's yeah. so funny because <laughs> this is the thing that makes me laugh about that whole thing. They, they attack basically their fan base, which mm-hmm. is Hispanic working family people. Memories at going to Dodger Stadium, going with my dad, mm-hmm. uh, going going with my best friend, him and him and his dad, and families, and having those memories there. Right, so then they 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 go extreme and get these. Do nuns to go over there and 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 you're talking about the sisters of perpetual garbage right that's what i call perpetual garbage but they go over there right and and black i mean you don't have to do a deep dive to see what they're about mocking jesus uh strip tees on the cross all this blasphemy one thousand percent not even there ain't even no no way out of that but i always laugh because i'm like really like your average let's just say not even christian catholic Family, you know, I mean, go to church Sunday. That's it. Easter, Christmas, CEO, Christians, whatever you wanted to call them, uh, you offend them. Now, what made me laugh about this is is, is it's so crazy because you constantly get sold the the, the lie here. Oh, we're we're, we're all inclusive, and then I t- I told this guy the other day. I said, Do you know the place where they built Dodger Stadium at? He's like, Yeah, Chavez Ravine. You know what was there before they built it? No, it was a Hispanic community. People owned their homes there. They told these people they're going to knock it down and build new homes there. Mm. They never did. They built a stadium. They built a stadium, <laughs> bro. And the people that were still living there before they before they raised everything, they t- came with the sheriffs to remove them. That was a Hispanic community. Mm. Half the people don't know that. Look. 100%. That are fans, and I and I and, yeah. I, and I, I've been a Dodgers fan my whole life, man. Being going to the games, have so many memories in that part. I love mm-hmm. the Dodgers. I can't go this year because I'm just, I just can't. I feel like I'm going against what I believe because mm-hmm. of what they did. But like you said, people don't have a knowledge or don't want to know the. Tr- I don't know what it is. Lies. Don't have the knowledge. Don't want to know the truth. Don't want to seek out the truth. Well, that's what I was getting at with the the Garden of Eden deal and Satan's original lie of, of appealing to the self-desire because that's what gets it. People are told by a group of people and ideology, if you vote for us, if you come our way, we, we'll justify anything you want to do. It's all about pleasure. Go party. Go sleep around. Go, go whatever you feel, act on it. And, and that's what it gets people, man. That's what gets people, especially if you're not a believer, you don't have something firm. You're not, you're not rooted on the rock. You're basically just a house on quicksand. And the devil comes along and it's like, hey, man, you deserve reparations. You deserve money. You know, you don't deserve to be arrested if you steal or rob somebody. You, you, it's, it's not your fault. It's somebody else's fault, right? And all the while, the greatest victims of democratic policies are minority groups. Minorities. It destroys their communities. They're yeah. the highest number represented in incarceration and violent crimes. And um, don't even get me started on trafficking on the border. I, I you know. I did a lot of that on the on the federal investigation side. And and here's what really makes me mad. These these Democrats that are actually in leadership, they have access to the truth. They know what their policies do and they don't care because it gives them 
their position of power. All, all of these these people, man, they make a lot of money. Yeah. Their net worth goes way up after getting elected, oh, and they yeah. hold on to it for for years and years. And that's on both sides. And I, again, I come back to the church and the average American and say, you have given up your right and country and your civic obligation to a group of people that are hungry for power and hungry for money, and they're using people as pawns. Perversion. Yep. All kinds of stuff. Yeah, it's really sad. It's really sad, but... I think, you know, I, I one one thing I would I, – I hear a lot from people like, hey, dude, like this is it, man. That, that whole fatalist perspective, uh, why should I get involved? Okay, you know, yeah, this, was, this is, is what I want to talk to you about. Yeah, so I have a really strong answer to that. One, God has not called you to be a monk. You're, you're never, ever told like, hey, don't go, right? I mentioned Philip. Philip could have told God, well, what's the point? You know, if, if God knows everything and did everything, then I should just stay in some area. No, it's about obedience. The church was called to spread the light of of the gospel, and to speak truth into people's lives and to love your neighbor. You don't do that by taking a passive, apathetic stance and never doing anything. Let's let's look at um, Germany, right? In the 1930s, the brown shirt party, soon to be the Nazis, started really growing. That movement grew in Germany. There was a lot of churches. Eric Metaxas has a great book on that, right? Letter to the American Church that came out recently and before on Bonhoeffer. There was something like 13,000 churches or pastors, I forget the, the numbers he talks about. But point is, the majority of churches in Germany didn't want to do, didn't want anything to do with it. Wow. In fact, what's more is they, they said that, oh, we have a duty to God to submit to the government. So they submitted to the Nazis. Now, admittedly, I don't think that every German knew what Hitler was going to do. You know, hindsight's it's easy for us to look back and look at how evil they were. But in the 1930s, right, they didn't know what they were doing because, remember, Hitler was a socialist. He was just like the Democrats here. He's all about national socialism and bringing up the poor people and destroying the rich people and, you know, making Germany successful again. And we need to grow and spread this ideology everywhere. You know, they like to distance the left, likes to distance themselves and be like, oh, you're right wing. And I'm like, dude, right, left, you're all on the same group. Like you're all secular humanist, right? America was different because we were based on biblical values. It wasn't so much a political spectrum. It was we didn't believe the government was God. The, the commonality between Hitler and the Soviet Union, for example, they both thought that they were gods of their own planets, yeah. right? So the churches, right, who thought we should just submit, we, we shouldn't do anything, we should just follow the rule. Tell me, I mean, what do you think those pastors would say now, right, when just a few years after Hitler takes power, they're dumping wheelbarrows full of babies out of third-story windows. They're burning people in ovens by the millions, and the church was just silent. That's evil. The Bible makes it very clear that um, silence is is complicit behavior, right? In Ecclesiastes, it talks about a father who hears a, an evil going on with his daughter, and he says nothing. And God says, you're just as guilty. Oh, yeah. You, you oh, can't yeah. stand by, especially if you hold the truth and you don't share it. I mean, it's like, did none of these pastors ever sing this little light of mine growing up, right? Hide it under a bush. Oh, no. Maybe they need to sing that again and remember that you're supposed to take that light and shine it. And and Jesus was very clear. You're yeah. going to suffer for me. I, I think every civilization, I would say I say this a lot, every civilization has been lost because man starts only worrying about himself. Yeah, absolutely. It's not affecting me. Cool. Right? It, it, and then all of a sudden, it starts closing in. And you're like, what happened? You were only worried about your yourself. Mm-hmm. And as long as it didn't affect you, and it, you were fine with that. But little by little, it started creeping in, creeping in, creeping in. And before long, you're like, what the heck happened here? You know, that's a really good point. I just heard somebody that, I won't say his name, it's 
He's got a big following in podcasts. A lot of people know who he is. And he said something I really disagree with because that's something that we have to guard against. That that whole mentality that says, like, you just you do you and I'll do me. Right? I'll just move my kids. No. I'll move out into the mountains. And that's not biblical, man. That's not no. how America was built. You think that that's the type of attitude that caused our young men to fall on the beaches of Normandy and die by the thousands to free a country that wasn't even ours in, in hopes of defeating that great evil that was coming out of Europe? It would have eventually come here, right? Yeah. So that's something that the church should never, ever be a part of. We're not called to live lives, self-pleasing lives. Love, by definition, according to the Bible, is sacrificial. It's all about others. That's literally the definition of love. I have a whole chapter in the book titled Love. It's good. And, and we counter the world's description of love oh, yeah. versus the biblical description. Because the world says love is acquiescence. It's all about yeah, you do you. And another person, the way you love, love your, them is... Love yourself. Right. Yeah. Because you have all the answers. You're so put <laughs> yeah. together. Yeah. Uh, it's that and it's it's the way... And then if you were to ask the world, well, how do you love other people? It's like, well, you let them do whatever they want. Yeah. And that's a lie. That's a lie. It's not true. It is a lie. If you love somebody, you'll tell them the truth. Right. All right. I have a story in, in, in the book about crazy. I went to a call of a, of a dead body, right? And um, I go out there and I see this guy. This is a homeless dude. I, I knew who he was, right? And he's dead on the side of this building and on the sidewalk, overdosed on fentanyl. This is just not too long ago. And typical, that's pretty typical for a cop. You know, we're around a lot of dead bodies. So I'm standing there. You know, talking with the, waiting for the coroner to show up. Coroner shows up in a van. They're going to take the body away. I'm taking evidence photos and collecting, you know, the the fentanyl. You can tell because it's got a little foil with a golden sheen under the black. That's a sure indication of fentanyl. Needles there. And this dude rolls up in a car and he gets out and I can tell he's distraught. And I'm going, I, this is family, guaranteed, right? Because I'd seen it a million times. Sure enough, it's his brother. And his brother runs up and you could tell homeboy been out on the street for a while because the brother was kind of like, you know, I saw this coming, but I see him getting teary-eyed. He's getting upset. And um, he's just like real like heavy, right? And I, So I go over to him and I say, hey, you know, we're, we're going to move him. They're going to take him to the morgue to do, do their little thing, investigation. And just it was almost like he couldn't contain it. He, he like confesses to me. He's like, I said, or I said, when, when did you see your brother last? And he said, well, I saw him yesterday. And he's like, I brought him that needle because, oh. you know, because, you know, I thought, well, if he's going to use, I want him to use a clean needle. You know, isn't that's a campaign, actually, that the, de- the Democrats are pushing in California. Yeah. Free needles, free drugs. Right. And that is the needle that he used to kill himself. And that, that brother is going to have to live the rest of his life. And, in fact, I forget the whole conversation, but he, essentially he was like, I can't believe I gave him that needle. You know? So in, 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 in the book I go on to describe that is, like, that's a perfect example of the world's love versus true love. Because true love is is maybe we tell somebody, hey, what you're doing is wrong. What you're doing is going to is going to hurt you. It's not good for you, whether they like it or not. See, whether someone likes you or not is not the measure of whether you're loving them or not. Right. Loving them has to be rooted in truth. So you've got a world that doesn't believe in truth, so they're just lost, and they're trying to, quote, love each other, and they're all destroying each other. That's why the church needs to not be apathetic because the church, if you are a Bible-believing Christian, are the only one that holds truth. And if you're the only one that holds the truth of God, you're the only one that can truly love people because you understand that this life is finite and what really matters and where you're going. So if you're keeping it to yourself, the world has no hope. Right. That wasn't God's plan. No, right? absolutely that not. That wasn't his plan. Go into all the world. Yeah. Preach the gospel. Tell truth. Whether you hurt feelings or not. I think I think what you're doing, man, is uh, is good. Hmm. But what are some of the challenges and some of the things you really had to think? I mean, obviously, your husband, your father, there is some 
there is some backlash that comes mm-hmm. with speaking truth. I've had some backlash on this podcast. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I'm like, and I've realized, especially over the last two years, you know, we I think we three years, Cam, we started this three years where we've, you know, we started off light because it wasn't, it wasn't bad. Mm-hmm. But as we got deeper and deeper, I was like, we started speaking more and more out, more and more truth, more and more telling people, hey, man, this this is the way it is. Because it, I felt, I felt obligated. I felt like I was letting people down. I felt like I was mm. holding back. And we have fun on this podcast. We have, we, we, we have lighthearted stuff. We talk boxing and skating and graffiti and all that stuff. But there's been times when, when most of the time the guests that come on here, it boils down to stuff like this. Truth. Mm. Talking about truth. Whether it's about money, whether it's about God, whatever hard work, discipline, whatever it is. Because we're in a world that doesn't believe any of that. Mm. Just believes in myself. Do what I want. You do what you want. We're gonna all be okay. And it's it's not the intention. You you said earlier, everything's based on the Bible. This whole country. Mm-hmm. I tell people this all the time. To the simplest things, every one of our laws. Guess where they came from? Ten Commandments. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you boil them all down, they all came from the Ten Commandments. That's it. Yep. I mean, so. To get away from that, there's no way to get away from that. And if you don't see that, it, it, it's wrong. If you don't think the Bible is relevant, you you, you talked about Philip right now. Mm-hmm. Last week, I I got to preach <laughs> on Father's Day, mm. Isaiah three. It's 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 God. It's the, the, the God telling the prophet Isaiah, "Hey, listen, I need you to tell these people that they went away from me, and this is what I'm going to do." Mm-hmm. He removes all the men, pulls all the men out. Pulls all the all the all the men with influence, with any fight, with any skill, with any craftsmen, anything, speakers, anything like that. He pulls them all out, removes all their supplies, mm. gives them the leaders that they want, leaves them with child 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 rulers, women in charge, and I'm just like, this is relevant, yeah, to very to what we're living in now. Why? Well, and I think I think we're at that pre stage. So to your question, like, what are some challenges? Well. I would say that I probably share the same challenges that anybody would have if and when you decide to step up and, and start fighting in this culture war. Uh, organizationally, my aim with defining truth is to be the front line of the culture war. And the way we do that is not by, there's a lot of pundits, right? There's a lot of organizations that put out good content, right? You got Daily Wire out there, you got PragerU, you got some organizations that compile data, put great videos, great content. But when I ran for Congress, I saw a lack of practical application in as much as that didn't translate to votes and wins. We're still losing, right? So because I got you know the tactical background, I'm thinking in warfare-wise here, what do we need to do? Well, we need a practical application side. And that's when I eventually kind of aimed back at the church. And to speak to challenges, that is challenging to do. Because if you decide to engage in the culture war, it's going to cost you something, right? You know, I, um, we are called to obey regardless, right? The Bible promises you're going to suffer, right? And believe me, any suffering that we have from doing culture war stuff is, is nothing. You got, you got Christians around the world being killed for believing in Jesus. So we got nothing to complain about here. You know, the bougie church with the rock band on Sunday doesn't have anything on North Koreans, right? Do you think for a minute, if North Korean Christians living in that regime, starving, right? Being brutally murdered and tortured. 
Do you think for a minute, if they had the opportunity to vote for who their leaders were, that they wouldn't be telling their people, get out there and vote. Choose differently. Now, don't give me that whole, like, I'm going to surrender to the people thing. It's going to cost you something. It's hard because people aren't going to like what you say. But here's the thing. I'm going to talk to men directly here, right? Men, you got to man up. You got to grow up. Like, leadership is contagious. You, you, you're looking for a purpose out there while you're, you're lost in porn and smoking weed and, and, and self-indulgence and, like, you're a disaster. You're not leading nobody. Nobody's going to follow you. What kind of example are you leaving for your kids and your wife and your family? No, what, what, what America needs is Christian men, men in general, to stand up and speak truth and lead. And so for doing that, you need to equip yourself, right? And there's also a faith element. Because if you look at the Hall of Faith in Hebrews, it wasn't by their righteousness or their acts. It was because what? They believed God. And God has called you to take a stand for truth, to be fishers of men, to spread and preach the gospel, and to live it practically in your life. And there comes a time in everybody's life where you got to ante up and kick in, right? And uh, that time is now because things are only getting harder. We're about 60 years behind the curb right. on the efforts on Marxists in this country. They've worked really hard to distort history, to convince people that they're all racist and bigots if they don't vote for them. All the, all the while, the church has just sat there and done nothing. So, yeah, there's been challenges, right? It's taxing on on your your, your family, right? As you know, from being on like social media and stuff, people come after you. They say things. Oh yeah. Um, Relate relationships with friends lost. Yeah, absolutely. You know, but but in the end, you know who who do you want to? I'll tell you, I've done a lot of stuff in my life. Right, I've been to the Middle East multiple times. I've served, you know, all these different agencies, all this stuff. This to me is the greatest thing that I've ever done. Is the Lord called me to engage in this culture war? It's far more important than anything I've done. Somebody's always smoking crack. There'll always be somebody else to take to jail. There's always going to be another war. And those are important. But if you don't have your heart and mind and your culture in, in line at home, there won't be anything left to fight for. This whole go off into the mountains and just live for yourself, that's trash. That only serves our enemies. We need men right now to stand up and decide, hey, I'm, first I'm going to get myself in order. Get right before God. Right, get on the side of your bed in the morning, wake up, spend some time in prayer, ask for forgiveness and say, today's a new day. I'm going to start it off right. I'm going to start in the word and I'm going to share that word with my wife and my kids. Or if you're not married to have kids, share it with the people around you. Start living for truth, grow up, right? And then go out into your day like Philip was called to go to the desert. I guarantee you God will bring you the opportunity to be used. Oh, I agree. You ain't going to see it though if you're not in the right state of mind. If your heart's not right, what did Jesus tell the woman at the well? He's looking for people to worship in what? Spirit and in truth. She was all focused on the temple in Jerusalem because the Samaritans had been cut off and she was like, well, we can't go there. God's like, no, I'm looking for people to worship in spirit and in truth. That's the place where young men need to be in this country. You want purpose? Read your Bible. There's a tremendous amount of purpose. You don't need to understand everything. You're not called as the church to figure out when God's coming back. And don't give me that fatalist, like it doesn't matter because God's going to do everything. That's none of your business. You know, you're not God. What you're called to do is take one step in front of another. Wake up in the morning, get yourself and your house in order, and live that life practically. I guarantee the opportunities will come and so will the challenges. And that's where really the men are divided from the boys. You see a bunch of little boys in churches today. Yeah, they man. shirk back, you know, from the world. Okay, I'm not going to talk about those things. I just want to preach Jesus on Sunday. You Play know, my guitar, drink Starbucks. You got it. Wear my little Peter Pan boots. That's exactly what the church in Germany did. <laughs> and, and they're going to wake up one day and uh, and they're going to be well, burning. Well, I, I think a lot of those. I mean, okay, so I I have mixed feelings on uh, on that. 
Mm-hmm. One, all these young guys, we, you know, I, I, I talked about this in, the, in this sermon. I'll send it to you, man. But yep. all these, all these young guys, you, you know, you get old when you start saying, "Hey, uh, back in my day, right?" <laughs> and, I, and I catch myself saying that a lot nowadays. And I, and, and some right. of it's there's some truth in it's it. Right. Okay, we're, we're about when truth age today. Comes we're doing, wisdom, hopefully. Right, right. <laughs> but I, I, I say there's two there's two parts to this. One part is uh, the generation before this generation. Fell asleep. Mm-hmm. We didn't teach these young guys. Absolutely. I'm, I'm not saying all the, all the men didn't teach them. I, I believe my son, he knows what's up. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, didn't do our job. Mm-hmm. So we can't blame these young, this younger generation as much. But I think a lot of the younger generation now, that what I've saw the last two or three years, these 20-something-year-olds that were just like, hey, we're fine. We don't have to go to church. We'll wear the mask and we'll go online and do all that stuff and just surrendered everything. And, and, and I was trying to, at first I was getting a little upset with them. And then I, and then I said, okay, let, let me, let me, let me speak truth, of course, to them. But I, I realized like a lot of them came around and real and really realized like, yeah, you're right. This isn't good. I got, some of them had kids during this period, you know, the last two mm-hmm. or three years. Yeah. Got a kid now or they got married now. And now yep. their perspective on these things Began to change. Yeah, so now, growing up. Now I, re- yeah, growing up a little mm-hmm. bit. Not, they they, they got to pay some taxes and, and pay some bills, right, and feed, have some mouths to feed. Mm-hmm. So I realized that was a great opportunity to really say, hey, here's some truth. And I realized there was there was things like books that I gave them, uh, talks that I gave them, this podcast, mm-hmm. meeting with men and young guys, and they were really craving that. So I, I like what you're doing, but I think it's important that, not only do we do it for the families, but we do mm-hmm. it for the guys that are around us too. Grab yeah. a young guy here and there, mm-hmm. be his friend, guide him a little bit, teach him a little bit. Especially the ones that don't have strong fathers or don't have any father. That's our obligation. That's the way we change the culture. You know, the Muslims. You know, that's another thing, right? I like when I see young fathers with like three kids, mm-hmm. right? Because. The old, the, just a few years back, it was like I'm not going to have kids, and you're yeah. like, you're 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 a believer, man. I know we're supposed to do that, mm-hmm. and I and I told a lot of these young guys. I said, you know, the Muslims believe they're going to change the world by having a lot of kids. Oh yeah, and then they train them in their ways, mm-hmm. and they'll, they they take over. Mm-hmm. Simple. So we're over here. Oh, we we don't want to build up strong warriors. Our our our, our kids are. Have you know and, and raise them up and have good families and big yeah. families and and take over. We're we're going to relinquish that to them and let mm-hmm. them take over. So I think there's a. I guess what I'm trying to get at, man, is is I see a little bit of through this. I see a little bit of positive mm-hmm. because I think people are searching. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think some yeah. of the some of the younger guys realize they're starting to grow up mm-hmm. and they realize I you know I can't I can't be down with that no more. Yeah. That's that's exactly what we've noticed, and that's kind of like our target market too. Is um, there's a growing number of people that are looking for truth, and uh, sadly, if they're not finding it in their church, they're going to look somewhere else, right? Because people are hungry, hungry for truth, hungry for discipleship. Young men are hungry for mentors and leadership. Families are hungry for strong men to lead, and um, it's the same thing with your wife, right? If you're not there for your wife and providing her what she needs, she's going to go look for it somewhere else, right? Yeah, many divorces tell that story right <laughs> and and like dude that's why i said you got to ante up and kick in like that's whether you're a woman or a man whether you're a kid or a young single guy whatever it is that you're called to do at that moment you need to do it like get up and do it right i mean we don't do anything in 
I'll just call it the tactical world, the military industrial complex, whether that's law enforcement or military. We do a lot of things that you just got to do, right? You just got to put the gear on and get to it. You know, I was just talking to my buddy the other day. I remember working graveyards all night, get off shift at like 6 a.m., off at 6 a.m., right? Because we start the night before. And uh, I remember a call coming out at like 0535 a.m., right? This is like when you're like, I'm done, bro. You know, take 25 calls for service. I took six people to jail. I got in a fight with someone. 535, a call comes in. I hear gunshots, my neighbor's house. Um, Me and my partner, who actually happens also to be a, a believer, we're the only two ready to respond. I don't know if we, we were free up or everybody was busy or something. So like immediately you're in route, right? Now here's a problem presented to you. There's no hesitation, right? You got a job to do. So you tighten your belt and we're like in route, right? We're like two minutes out. Uh, Dispatch is updating us. Our neighbors coming out, gunshots. One, one male subject just exited the front door, heading to a vehicle. Vehicle turned on. All right, one minute out. And we're, we're screaming, dude, right? Like lights and sirens, 100 plus miles an hour on the way. Next update. Dude's carrying a body out of the house. Just put, her, put the, looks like a female, in the front passenger seat, right? 30 seconds out. And 30 seconds, it's, it's silence, right? That's when I hit the boop, give me the tone. Nobody talks. We're, we're getting it. So me and my partner come around the corner, and bam, there's the car. You have 30 seconds to get yourself together, right? Mm. The, 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 the training and preparation and, and everything to get you to that point, it's more than just a class you take. It's a lifestyle. It's a warrior class. You live your life a certain way so that when those moments come, you're ready to roll. Long story short, he shot his girlfriend in front of her kids, right? We pull him out, we hot stop him, get out of the car, show me your hands. He's under arrest. My partner, you got him. It's just me and him there, right? You got him, yeah, okay. He's got him on the ground. You better believe he had him on the ground cuffed too. I go up to the front. There's woman alive, bullet hole in the stomach, came in through her back. I go inside, talk to the eight-year-old little girl. She's like, yeah, I saw, you know, mommy's boyfriend shot mommy. How did it happen? We pointed the gun at her and said, I'm going to shoot you and then pulled the trigger. Talk about kids will just tell you straight up. <laughs> talk about PTSD. My, 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 my point of this story is that, you know, a lot of these extreme environments like the military, and I can tell stories all day, but a lot of these extreme environments have taught us a valuable lesson that spiritually, mentally, there's really not a lot of difference. It's a great comparison that, especially if you're a Christian, you're to live your life in, in preparation for what God has called you to do, right? You're, you're, you're to be able to give a defense for what you believe. That's apologetics, right? And um, a lot of us have gotten away for a long time. There hasn't been any of those, I shot my neighbor call. It's been chill. Everybody's kind of cozy, hanging out at the station, enjoying the worship. But right now, our culture's coming to a point where God's like, hey, 911 call's coming in. The country's going down. People are getting shot. And the church is just like, ah, you know, I don't really want to talk about politics. Makes me sick. Yeah, I I, I told a few men that the other day. I said, what are you waiting for? Mm -hmm. (laughs) How how bad does it have to get? Yeah. You want the state to take your kids, like the, the bill they're passing? Yeah. Like they would come into your house and tell you that it's illegal to be a Christian? At what point will you invest into the country that God gave you the, the privilege of living in? I, I tell you know, I was telling him that the other day. I was like, it, it's bad. How many, we can go, it's not just one thing, it's multiple things that's coming against you. At what point do you man up and say, yeah, I got to stand up? 
for what's right. I got to stand up afraid. for They're afraid. They're afraid. They're afraid. And tell me, has God given us a spirit of fear? No. Fear is behind a lot of the church's silence. Do you know that 40% of the churches in California shut down during COVID to never reopen? Yeah. Good. Because if you shut down and never reopen because... Some God-hating Democrats told you that you're not allowed to open your church. Good riddance. Yeah, you're, you're probably not a church that should have been open. Yeah, you're probably preaching not. a fake gospel. Hey, the Lord is uh, Feel good he's, gospel. He's, he's sifting the wheat here, man. He's separating the wheat from the chaff. I, I think even living in here in, in California, you know, you had a lot of people leave. And, and granted, for whatever reason, let's just say, you know, maybe the good reasons, jobs, I get it, family, I get it. Leaving just to leave because you think, I'm going to run to another state. Because it's 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 nicer and they, they and they it, they're freer and all these things and and I thought like okay I get it some of you guys um, yeah it, it is rough here but I thought if you're running away thinking that the the the, the battleground lines are not you it's know come there. moving in they're moving in yeah so I might as well stay on the front line as long as I can and just keep battling yeah. and standing for truth and keep. The enemy back because if I fall back, <laughs> I'm surrendering land, yeah. right? There is there may come a time when it's time to go, but that day is not today. The battle is here. I, I agree with that. It's it's here now. And before you run away, it's like, why don't you try fighting at least? You know, I'm, why don't the church I'm thankful. Speak out? Yeah, I'm thankful. I mean, I mean, you have Pastor Jack. I have my Pastor Adam. They speak truth, and they're about hey staying. And and, and the the good thing I, I love about pastors like that is because a lot of pastors are maybe their sermons are based on feel good because it's based on them getting a salary mm. you know what i mean like i i got i got to be cool because i th- this church pays my salary and i don't i, don't, I can't go back to working 40 hour week job and the pastors that preach truth with that in the you know probably looming over them every week like hey the, i could have 20 people you know what i found out the pastors that speak truth are getting more people in their church. Absolutely. More yeah. people in their church. People are looking for truth. They're not looking truth for is attractive. feel good yep. Christianity. They're looking for speak truth to me. If you're and people know truth more than ever. I mean, I, I feel like when they well, when they go looking for truth, they can recognize real, mm-hmm. recognize real right away. Mm-hmm. If you're speaking it, they're like, I'm staying. Well, I would tell people that all the time. That's a big lie that the left has convinced Christians of that people don't want to hear the truth because it's offensive. That's a lie. People want real. Yeah. They, they, they believe me. The world knows it's suffering. They got their own problems, right? You patrol the neighborhood. That's that. That's like code in the neighborhood. Real, recognize real. I mean, you. They, they spot that right away, and they, mm-hmm. they'll dispatch you if you if you're not real. Yeah. They know that. So I think people in these communities are looking for truth. Yeah, constantly. And if the church won't give it to them, who will? <sighs> you know, that's the problem. That is a major problem. It, it's a deep, deep lack of discernment. When you see the church, you know, you mentioned the word woke. When you see a woke church, man, adopting the values of the spirit of this world, they, it's like they're done. They're done. They can't rightly divide the word of God. If you're telling your people that men shouldn't be masculine, that, you know, um, men shouldn't own guns. I'm saying this because this is a real deal I just heard from a church, right? Yeah. You, you. You've you've aligned yourself with the spirit of this world. How do you do that? What communion hath light with darkness? How do you align yourself with what clearly the devil's doing in America? And you as a Christian are you're willing, yeah, yeah, you know, they may be trying to sexually mutilate our children and push them into a sex cult, but you know, you're right, we shouldn't have guns. Like don't align yourself, don't have anything to do with them. Yeah. You know, like is the Bible not sufficient for you? Is it always the Bible and? 
You know, that's, that's a lie. You don't need anything else. The Bible is fully sufficient and practical and applicable to everything that you have. It's, it's, it's the same it's yesterday, today, and forever. You don't need the Bible plus sociology. I don't need the Bible plus BLM to that. teach me about loving people. It's not true. The Bible taught me that 2,000 years ago. Right. I don't need the world's social psych perspective to understand the truth of life because I have everything I need in the revelation of Jesus and in in, in, in the word of God. That, that book right there is good for reproach, for correction, for reproof, excuse me. I mean, that's all we need. The church has lost itself thinking that we need to become more like the world so that people want to come to our services. And in doing so, they have completely lost their way. And, and what, what, what better place you know, for a church to be in the, in the eyes of, of the enemy than in that lukewarm, like, go ahead. You're not offensive. You know, you're not doing anything. You're not having any cultural impact, and you vote Democrat, so good for you. You know, the world's going to leave you alone. And you mentioned challenges. You're going to see spiritual challenges because whenever you stand up for truth, you're going to be spiritually challenged because you're you're going up against a stronghold, right? The devil has a big hold on California. That's no secret. Uh, openly, right, uh, embracing satanic um, ideologies, right? You, you mentioned the Sisters of Perpetual Garbage. I refuse to call them anything else. <laughs> After the Dodger Stadium thing, right, this is a group. To be clear, for those, I mean, everybody knows them, but let's just clarify. This is a group that perform, performs sexually explicit strip routines dressed as biblical characters. They strip on a on a tranny who's dressed like Jesus on a cross, and, and Mary comes and performs a strip show on him. It's grotesque. Now, in light of that, our government, the Democrats in, in Sacramento, invited them to the state capitol to honor them, to honor them. Based on what? How, how, how are you? Well, let me let just on that alone. Yeah, how are you alone. a Christian and aligning yourself with the Democrats? They hate you. And Catholics, for that matter. I'm, uh, Catholics, I yeah. mean, any, any, even, even, um, uh, you're seeing even in Canada now, you're seeing Muslims and Christians stand side by side right. saying, leave our kids alone. Well, in the Valley, they were, they, they protested yeah. together against the school district. How embarrassing is it when you have other religious groups now saying, oh, guys, this is too much. This is too far, you know, while the church is like, we don't want to talk about politics. When Christians and Muslims Bro. come together to fight something, you know it's bad. It's got to be bad. Let, and let me tell you this from a political perspective, okay? The amount of people that do not vote that don't show up to have a say in who these people are leading you, who, who, by the way, these are the people that spend your tax money. It's staggering how few people show oh, up. I know. In my district where I ran for Congress, there's over a million people. And it was less than 20% of people that showed up to vote. Like 3% voted in the midterm. And, 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 and this is like, we looked at the, we had a list. We looked at how many churches were in that district. If just the churches alone would have voted, I would have won by like, a landslide. It would have obliterated the amount of Democrats that voted. But the the hard fact is churches didn't show up. Right. They didn't show up to vote. They didn't care enough. They didn't love their neighbor enough to show up and vote to stop people who are honoring the Sisters of Perpetual Garbage in Sacramento. And changing all these laws in the schools. And, and, and make, taxing you more and yeah. taking your money and indoctrinating your kids and passing pieces of legislation. These are the same people you vote for who just are going to pass this assembly bill that allows the state to take your child from your home. Yeah, Talk about getting real, bro. That's, that's going to be a shot heard around the world. Right. When the government starts going into people's houses and taking your kids, for the church it'll be too late. That's going to start a conflict. That's that's too far. Yeah, and and we're not there yet. We're we're getting there, right? Right. But like now is the time. If the church, if just the church, just the Christians in the state of California would actually show up and vote, 
we would radically change the state of California overnight. But they don't. They don't. Because they go to churches where the pastor says, politics don't matter. Whether you say it or not, that's what you're implying by never talking about it, right? Right. And, and by the way, historically, let's just point out, that is completely inaccurate. The church in America was intimately involved in our government, in our country, for hundreds of years. It wasn't until 1953 yeah. when they passed the bill, right, the Truman, Truman Bill or whatever it's called, I forget the name of it, that um, basically barred churches from you know, endorsing a political candidate because they right. would take their tax-free status. Um, Roosevelt? No, it's Truman. Truman. Okay. It was. Uh, it was fifty three. The um, the effects of that, the silencing of the church, and then the subsequent indoctrination in schools that said, "Oh, separation of church and state." You know, the Constitution doesn't say that anywhere. That's not what it was for. No. In fact, quite the opposite. Our founders started a company so that they could freely practice Christianity. Everything. Have you ever been to Washington D.C.? It's no. amazing. Everywhere you go, on every building, every historical monument. Bible verse, Bible verse, oh, yeah. Bible verse. George Washington rode his horse down Pennsylvania Avenue to go to church in the Capitol building. They held church service in the Capitol for over 100 years. Pastors were incredibly involved and trusted by community because government leaders, because they knew that the church was a big part of culture, right? So they wanted pastors to get on board. If they wanted to win, they'd be like, oh, we better get the pastors to yeah. talk about us. And you know what the pastor's guide was? The Bible. They would say, here's your guide. I'm teaching the word of God. And the, if you're teaching the word of God faithfully, people will know what to do in their lives because you should vote your biblical values, right? It wasn't always about the party, though it's become that now as we've divided more. But there was a time when you were to vote your biblical values. That's your guide. And that hasn't changed. So the world came along realizing, hey, it's kind of a problem that Christians are involved oh, yeah. in government because we're not winning, right? Oh, yeah. The communists didn't didn't uh, get anywhere. And um, it, most people don't know. There was a communist political party in the United States all the way till 1943 I think right the 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 um whatever his title was the the president of the American Communist Party when he resigned and shut down the party um that was the last time they actually had a presidential candidate he uh in a statement said we no longer have to continue in our ideology because the democrats have fully adopted our platform bro they've been with this for a long time oh yeah so 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 the world comes along tells the church be quiet you have no place in politics, and the church is like, okay, I guess we'll be quiet. Well, that was what happened with abortion. Abortion. Roe versus Wade. We just the militant LGBTQ that. agenda, yeah. now the trans agenda. Every aspect, again, it's like all these things are moral issues. They're God's issues. And the world is like, these are political. So the pastors are, I guess I don't I want to lose my nonprofit right. status. And I tell people, look, if you think, we, we, we've seen it in the last three years. If you think the woke mob is going to stop at just this. Yeah. It doesn't happen. It went from, you know, we, we, we want to get married to, you know, we want to transform. We want to take your kids. That's where, that's where this whole. And pretty fast. E oh, yeah. It was funny because 10 really years fast. ago, they'd be like, oh, you're a crazy conspiracy theorist, you know. Well, well, the, well the, the funny thing about that is you have actual politicians that were totally against it 10 years ago. And now saying a totally different, saying what we're saying now. That's because they don't believe in anything. No, they, 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 they go with power. Their consultants tell them this is what you should say to right. win the election, and they do it. Right. That's a, that's a big problem too. So you know, I mentioned voting, but you also need people to run for office. That's yeah. a big, big responsibility. Yeah, people are are scared to run for office. To be honest, well, they need to because we send a lot of missionaries around the world. If you're going to go on a trip to uh, Africa, <laughs> West Africa, or you're going to yeah. go down to South America on a missionary trip. 
Um, do some mission work in your community too. Yeah. Try running for school board or water district or county supervisor. I, I, I'm big on the, on the, on the grassroots. I Absolutely. Think, I, I think it starts there, right? You, yep. can, you can almost be more effective as the mayor or the, uh, is, like you said, school board on these water districts, whatever. You can be more effective sometimes in your community more than, uh, a congressman sometimes because you're oh, you're, yeah. you're, you're in, these, in these grassroots you're you're meeting with the people every day it's it's big I'll give you a perfect example Temecula Valley School District TVUSD they've been in the news a lot recently um, because during the last election they flipped the majority three people one who were Christians and uh, one of them is uh, is uh, Jen Wiersma she goes to my fellowship where I go she's a Christian and they they made through on their promises and they won and they got rid of CRT. Because it's garbage, it's racist, it's and awesome. it's straight out of a Marxist playbook. Oh, yeah. And um, it caught it caught national attention, right? It was all over the news, blah blah blah. They had I was at one school board meeting where um, teachers organized young students, minors, to go and protest with Marxist signs, and it's outrageous, right? And then um, they recently had another incident show up where you know this whole uh, Harvey Milk pedophile story thing came out, and they. Uh, the curriculum wanted to teach kids about Harvey Milk, like he was some kind of hero. I forget what it was, the details. But they got rid of it, and they fired the superintendent. And remember, these people were elected by the people, right? They're promoting our American values in schools. They're daring to go against the progressive Marxism in our schools. And Newsom just chimed in on Twitter, basically threatened them, and said, oh, you've got my attention. We, we, we're going to look into this, like, legally. Like, like he's going to come down and legally do something. Look, you're going to catch uh, attention, right? But imagine if we had that times 5,000. Imagine if your local churches and your pastors were acknowledging that being involved in civics is just as important as being a Christian firefighter or a baker or uh, you know an inspector, you, you name it, right? You're supposed to go and live your faith wherever you are. Right. Imagine if we were discipling and sending people out to positions that are influential in the community. If we ran for every school board, every district, city council, mayor, everything, not everybody's going to win. I get that. Dude, it would rock their world. Oh, yeah. The Democrats wouldn't know what to They'd do. They hate it. Well, their religion is politics. Right. See, see, we we kick back as conservatives. We work really hard. We pay our taxes. We try to stay out of jail, and we go to church, and that's our that's you know our, our church is our faith. That's our identity. For the left, they have no church. They have no God. Their religion is politics. That's yeah. why they're such activists. They 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 have nothing else other than let's protest and let's march for the trans movement and let's let's run for office. That is who they worship. Government. So. The church is sleeping, and they're advancing that battle line forward. And it's work. I mean, in California, man, the, yes. the whatever happens in California, thus happens to the rest of the country. Right. There, there, there's a lot of. Uh, I, I had a a friend here, Ross Johnson, and he's uh, goes out on the street, preaches, meets up with people, worships, do all, does all that. He is a firm believer that there's going to be revival in California. He said, "We're on the front lines. We're we're going to fight back. It's going to start. The, the, the California is going to change, and it's going to get." Uh, it'll change the nation. Do you believe that? I believe it's possible. Yeah. I believe it's uh, contingent on people obeying. The Lord is always looking for who will who will go, right? Here am I, send me. That's what the church needs to say. Yeah, I'm not a fatalist. I do think revival's possible or or maybe or maybe not. Maybe we, you know, maybe the rapture happens next week. I don't know. It's not for me to guess. But I do know that it's my responsibility to live out my faith and to live as if the Lord is coming back. I love that. And that means that we hope for revival and we hope for change. 
And I always tell people in sort of the industry that I came from, you know, they're like, well, you know, it must be great if you get to be in the ministry and you get to read your Bible every day and go to church and all this stuff. And I'm like, look, dude, you, you sh- your ministry is wherever God has called you to, whether that's in law enforcement, the military, in public service, like fire, or if it's um, in construction, or maybe you're in the steel workers union, you know, whatever you do for work, maybe it's in media, maybe it's in tech, maybe you're an IT guy. That's your mission field. And in those places, your greatest example is lived. It's relational evangelism. It's not always that you have to go slap people in the face with your Bible. What you need to do is be the best at your job. Show the world that our biblical values have practical applications. I had a young guy call me one time. He was all upset because he joined the military and it was super rough, right? And he was like, I just think the Lord has called me to be a worship leader. And I'm like, guess what, bud? You sign a contract to join the army. Lord called you to join the army because <laughs> you're, you, you're to honor what you swore you would do. And uh, right now, it's not being a very good example. You whining and complaining. The best example you can be, and I told him in the military, be the best soldier that you can be. Don't mess up. Show up on time. Keep your uniform straight. Learn the job. Be the best that you can be. Like, no pun intended, right? Same thing for the Marine Corps, the Navy, whatever branch. If you're the best at that job that you can be, what happens is the world goes, what's up with this dude? Exactly. You're, you're working hard. You're successful. You're not complaining. You're, you're living your faith by example, and I guarantee, again, the Lord will give you the opportunity. If you obey and live practically, you don't always have to understand what God's doing. You don't know. I don't know if there's going to be a revival, but I'm certainly called to obey and live my faith in a loud way. So you can extrapolate that into all elements of society. I would say the same for people running for office. They need to run for public office because God gave us a country that's a republic, and we choose our leaders, right? When did the church stop telling people that you should run for Congress, you know, what, what do the woke churches tell them? You have to stop know. being a Christian when you get elected. So they, they sure love when they see a Christian in there, right? Exactly. Right. Isn't everyone happy <laughs> yeah. when a Christian's elected and they're like, look at that guy. He's a man he's, of God. Oh, he's praying. Yeah. It's like, well, okay, well, why don't you send more people that way? That's right. But, but the thing is the, the church has this real bifurcated perspective where it's like, well, I'm a Christian because I go to my Wednesday service and I go to Sunday and I have my Christian coffee and I read my Christian books. And like, you've so separated yourself from the world that how can you be salt? How can you be flavor out there? Right. No, we're called to be in the world, not of the world. But you have to be out there, and you have to live your life in, in, in a God-honoring way, right? But again, it takes boldness, and, and, and we really need pastors and churches to encourage people to live that way. I'm telling you right now, if you're listening and you go to a church that you think in, in any way is woke, you need to leave. leave. Yeah. They're, not aligned, they're aligned more with the spirit of this world than the word of God. Right. You're... you're, you're you're going to be that apathetic, you know, you're, you're like the neighbor that turns your neighbors in for being Jews, right? It's like, Oof. what are you going to be like? Well, because, well, the Bible says to obey the government, so oh. I got to turn my neighbors in. No, no, you don't. You're just apathetic. You're lukewarm. The Bible says that lukewarm will be spit or vomited out of his mouth. Oof. It's true. You know what I mean? I love it. You got me sweating a little bit. I I, I'm sorry. I got, a little, got a little things. hot in here, man. It did get a little hot in here, but it's all good. No. Passion. Truth. That's the way truth is, though. Mm. I, I have, we'll wrap this up, but I have one question for you, a two-part question. You're in the military, police officer, people uh, people die in those situations. Mm-hmm. Military, police officer have to use deadly force. Mm-hmm. That's part of it. What what is your reaction to the people like saying, "How could you be a Christian and use deadly force?" I have a two. I have, I'll let you answer that, and have one mm-hmm. more after that. Yeah, sure. What is your What is your answer to that? 
So for one, there's a big difference biblically between murder and killing. Those things, those are two different things, right? Um, we know that because we have prescribed killing for certain offenses, right, in the Old Testament. Uh, we also have a New Testament reference where Jesus is talking to the centurion who had faith, and Jesus says of the centurion, nobody in Israel has faith greater than this guy. And if you don't know anything about centurions, they were brutal soldiers, man. Those guys are fighters, trained killers. That was their profession, right? So murder, very different. I would ask the person to tell me, um, is it right, being that your first ministry is to defend your family, right? You go out and you shoot somebody and murder, wrong, obviously. But uh, what if you're sitting in your living room and you have a gun, you have the ability, and a guy comes in and he says, I'm going to rape and murder your wife. Do you let him do it? Or do you use deadly force, right, if it's necessary? So big difference. Um, I have zero problem with that. In fact, there's a, there's a lot of military analogy between how the Lord structures his organization. The angels are like a military. Um, it's, um, it's something I think that God honors. There's a need for it. Now, of course, sin entered the world, right? In, in, in perfection, without sin, then we have no death. But we know that the wages of sin are death. And you have an absolute right to self-defense. In fact, there's a whole chapter in the book called Self-Defense. And we, just, we, we go into this was the a plan. Christian Judaic. <laughs> I know. It we go into the Christian Judaic perspectives that the founders held on why self-defense was important, and it eventually birthed a very unique Second Amendment. That, that's, what unique I was, that's what I was asking secondly here. Mm-hmm. Uh, Second Amendment. I'm a big Second Amendment guy. Mm-hmm. I get people all the time uh, ask me guns and afraid. I, I get you know people that became saved that came from the neighborhood, you know, and you know guns were were, were bad. You know, people died, and uh, and then I get the Christian that, oh, maybe not. And I always tell them, I, it's like we said, I believe in the Second Amendment. It's important for a lot of reasons. To, to, to be the bare minimalist, I want to be able to protect my family. Mm-hmm. But if we walk it all the way up, it protects the First Amendment, correct? Absolutely. Let's look at the purpose of the Second Amendment, right? The Second Amendment was there explicitly for you to be able to defend yourself against a potential future tyrannical government. It was there for accountability. And that was not a joke. The founders realized that the lack of ability for them to defend themselves against oppression was a major problem. Why? Because they understood the heart of man was desperately wicked. Remember they said ambition and avarice, the love of money and the love of power. So they, these guys were genius, man. They built into the concept of the founding that we should hold each other accountable. They, they weren't saying that they were tyrannical, but they knew enough about human nature to say, you know what, just in case, we're going to make sure that every citizen has the right to carry equally what the opposing force has. So um, from a political perspective, it's something that should be viciously defended. The fact that Governor Newsom and the Democrats are attacking gun rights, major, major red flag. Every tyrannical regime in, this, in the history of the world that has gone on to murder millions of people, they start by disarming their people. Disarming and removing religion. Absolutely. <laughs> so big, big one on the Second Amendment. It's absolutely necessary. And, and let me give you a little, um, a little preview of what we delve into in the book for your, my listeners. Don't so, tell me there's a, there's a section on the Second Amendment in there. Well, it's a self-defense book. So, yeah, it's in there. So, but here's, I, here's the thought process behind it. The reason the Christian Judaic perspective on self-defense is so adamantly defended is because of our belief in life. Okay, here's the, here's the big split. We believe that life is valuable because we believe that we were created. And our creator 
is uh, the one who gave us purpose. So there's a purpose giver. So life is sacred to us. We believe it's worth dying for even. That's how you spread freedom, right? The left has adopted the secular humanist approach, the evolutionist approach that nothing happened before you die, nothing happens after. The only thing that matters is now. Life is, is severely diminished. That's why they're the ones doing abortion and euthanasia and killing people if they're not useful because they're just animals, right? It was inevitable. Uh, Hitler um, obviously understood Darwinism. It, it eventually led him to his extermination policies because it, his whole thing was humans are just animals, right? So the value of life is seriously degraded in the eyes of the secular humanist. And if the value of life doesn't matter, the only thing that matters is the, the now, the experiential aspect of, of a society. It's all about the greater good, right? So in order to accomplish the greater good, you have people like, and nowadays you have the, the, the psychopaths at the World Economic Forum, right? Who are like, we're going to reorganize the entire world and form a one world government. But their whole idea is premised off that lack of value in human life in that individual doesn't matter. That's why the Soviets would send Russian soldiers into battle without guns they'd send them in pairs right one had a gun and one had the bullets and they were instructed like you go and fight and when this guy gets shot pick up his gun and you start shooting and guess what they did to those who turned around they shot them right they forced people to their own death so the difference between their perspective and ours has a lot to do with why we believe we should be armed and it starts with what we view as very important in the value of life it's sacred to us it's worth defending so anyone who tries to take that from you, it should be a red flag, right? It should be like, why are you trying time. to do that? Big time. Big time. Yeah. Good stuff, man. I'm glad you came out. Thanks for having me. I, I told you we just go where it goes. That was great. Right? I, I, I appreciate the truth, man, that, that, that you're speaking and, 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 and all you're doing, man. I mean, uh, it's important. And, and I love that you geared some of that to the men. Because it starts with us. Yeah. Starts with the father, starts with the men mm-hmm. showing showing the next generation. So Absolutely. What'd you say? Uh get at it? Or what, what was your Annie up and Annie, kick in. Annie up. I love that. Yeah. We do one more thing before we right. leave, man. Let's do it. All right. It's uh we call it the Furious Five. Okay. And we ask you five furious questions. I'm ready. Question number one on the Street Gospel Furious Five four. Josiah Mm O'Neill Favorite gun What is your favorite gun? Glock 19 Glock 19 Just stocked or you have it Red dot or Tool of the trade That's it I have a custom one But right out of the box Works great You can go to war with it Yeah Indestructible Fall out of your pocket Bounce all over the sidewalk Pick it up Still works Throw it out on the freeway It'll work I'm not talking like Gucci You know everybody's gonna be like Oh you should buy a staccato They're like (laughs) $20,000 No they're like six But uh, uh, Glock 19 will do the job I love it I love it Question number two On the street gospel Furious five You're uh, Law enforcement For a long time Do you watch cops? Oh yeah It's <laughs> a great show man <laughs> Who can beat that song? <laughs> Dude I tell everybody Cops Is The first Reality show And the best reality show Why do you think they banned time? it? Not to kick up the conversation again. Because it was truth. They were showing too much about the reality out there. Right. The Democrats were like, oh, we can't show people what cops really do. I was sad, Let's man. only show them our perspective. Yeah, cops is great, man. I, I think Life I should, PD is good, too. I like Life PD. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's grown on me, man. It's mm-hmm. it's pretty funny. Favorite episode of Cops is, is uh, I saw this this dude. He's running from, gets out of the car, starts running. He's jumping fences. This cop's 
running after him, man. And the dude jumps the first fence. The cop comes. He jumps the fence. And I realized the cop had a, 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 a prosthetic, a pro, prosthetic, prosthetic a leg, fake leg, a fake leg, right? He jumps the <laughs> fence. The cop did? The cop did. He had man. shorts on. He catches the guy. I said, man, that dude's street Savage. credit is over forever. Yep. yep. Question number three on the Street Gospel of Furious Five. If you can fight anyone dead or alive in the history of Earth, who would you fight? Hitler. Hitler. I'd go to town on him. <laughs> he was a little guy, right? I don't know. I, I heard he was little. He was. A I, I, I don't think he had much of a ground game. So, <laughs> Do you got a ground game? I don't know. I'm not going to say we'll that I'm here for for, oh, for the record. Okay. My brother-in-law's black belt in jiu-jitsu, so I'll, I'll defer to him. All right. All right. I'll relinquish my position to uh, more Hitler. I, I don't. What, what do we see? What do we say he was going to say? <laughs> I, I think we thought of other stuff, right? That's a good one, though. Hitler's good, man. Take him to the ground. It's over. I didn't think about that too much. So that's just <laughs> the first thing that popped. I was like, who's the worst guy I could think of? I don't know. Question number four: The Street Gods of Furious Five or Josiah O'Neill? Yeah. If you could go back and pick any career, mm. what would you have picked? Well, I've done so many things. Um, you know, career. Okay, so we're not talking callings or the ministry. I, I, I probably would have stayed in the medical field. I think about that sometimes. Really? I, well, I was a medic, right? And yeah. we did all kinds of trauma specialty stuff. I might have gone to med school. I think I might have been a doctor. I liked medicine. You liked it? Yeah. That wasn't my calling, man. Man, I don't know if I could do it, man. It's, it's a little too much for me. I might choose exactly what I did because I, I love what I did. I had a good time. Hey, that's good. I, I mean, if you if you if you live life with no regrets, I think yeah. that's the best thing. No regrets. You no seen regrets. that tattoo? The guy that got it. That's a great. I have man. a lot of tattoo friends, so it, <laughs> I see those all the time. They always, they always laugh at that stuff. Question number five on the street: Gospel Furious Five. Favorite car to drive. Oof. Like one that I wish I had. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm a practical guy. So I don't want like a Bugatti or something. I can't. It's like ah, it's not your everyday everyday car. Um, I. You don't have to worry about gas in California. You you, you just fill up uh, unlimited gas. Yeah. Ooh, I'd like a Range Rover. I think oh, that'd be right. cool. That'd be sick. Yeah. Only because I, I I worked on a team. Um, with the Saudis for a while, and those dudes rolled deep. Oh in yeah, the Range Rovers, man. The Range Rovers are like t- Toyota Camrys to those dudes. I know, <laughs> for real, right? Yeah, that was like a low end car for those guys. Yeah, no, I don't know, I don't know. I drive a, um, yeah, I don't know. And if I had to drive a car, you know, I, I think it'd be, I always thought it'd be cool to have a classic car. I don't have any classic cars, but I think it'd be cool to have a classic car of some sort just to roll around in. Right. Yeah, that's all I got. I know, man. Hey, man, <laughs> anything you want to shout out before we get out of here? Where, where can they find you? Anything you need to shout out, man? Yep. We, we want to. Um, no, just thank you for having me. Thanks I really appreciate it. I think more of us need to connect and, and push it out. Um, I got that book coming out, Defining Truth. Um, Can't wait. It's going to print. It should be awesome. We're going to make it digital, too, so people can download it. Awesome. And I'm hoping to do an audio where I read it because a lot of people listen to audio. Oh. Um, DefiningTruth.com is our website. And of course, you can follow on Instagram at Defining Truth, and we're on YouTube, our own podcast and show, which I'm gonna have to get you on at some point. Oh man, let's do it. Um, it's up on YouTube. But other than that, man, it's 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 not about me. The, the whole Defining Truth deal, it's not about me. It's about uh, it's about the fight, and we're called as believers to be engaged in our culture. And I want the church to wake up and be involved in their civic duties. Thank you, man. Yeah, I want, I'm gonna get you on again. We'll talk about your your company. Let's we didn't even it. get to that. That'll be awesome. 
do it. Appreciate you. That'll conclude this episode of the Street Gospel Podcast with Josiah O'Neill. Check him out, man. Definitely a lot of truth. Uh, and, he, and he's backing it up, man. Check out his book. Pick it up when it comes out. Hey, we love you guys, man. We out. <laughs>